my dear girl. You seem faint. Do sit down. Rest. Here, a glass of wine. Drink. It will bring color back to your cheeks. Thank you, my lady. No! Do not drink, my lady. Valentine. My lord. Allow me. Mama, I drink to the memory of my brother. My lady, I drink for you. No, my son, that is not for you. Uh, men, stop him. Too late. I have swallowed the bitter poison. I am dead so that my lady can live. With this deed, I prove myself a lord. My lord? No! Fire! Fire is loose! Hi there, listeners. Welcome to episode number 30 of the Square Waves FM podcast. I'm so glad to have you along listening. Uh, I am your host, Brian, and I am submerged in a shallow puddle of beer, which I somehow <laughs> somehow spilled a little bit in my bed. <laughs> How gross is that, man? Oh, I podcast boy. from my bed, and I <laughs> opened up this stupid can of beer, and it fizzed all over the place, including <laughs> in a small, shallow pool in my bed. So, Oh, my, no. My butt's a little soggy. <laughs> and, uh, with me today is hopefully my my uh, drier and uh, maybe more absorbent guest. Please introduce yourself, sir. Hello, I am uh, very dry and and very absorbent. Anatoly Shashkin, uh, sometimes occasionally known online as Das Nostalgic, and I'm glad to be back. I'm really, really glad to have you back, Anatoly. How you been? I I've been all right. You know, uh, a lot of. A lot has happened to me since since I was on this podcast last time, but you know, mm-hmm. life life goes on, and I'm okay. All right, good stuff. I'm glad to be back. I really am. Oh, thank you very much. Really, really happy to have you back. Our house is your house. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen. I uh, soon as of as of Tuesday, I'll be able to just like cross to Canada with no problem. So. Oh, is that when you get your citizenship? Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Do, do they, uh, you already did your test or whatever? Or yeah, yeah, I, did, I passed my test and everything. Just got to get sworn in before the judge and the Lord and the American flag. Oh, outstanding. Yeah, that's, uh, that is a, a topic of conversation that's been in the news in Canada a little bit. The fact that in order for immigrants or for uh, new residents to uh, get sworn in, they have to pledge allegiance to God and to the Queen neither of which are particularly relevant in terms of being a Canadian citizen. So <laughs> there's a whole story about how some people just mouth the words or they refuse to, and sometimes the people who are saying repeat after me, they like make an example of them for it. And Interesting. Yeah. I, I don't particularly feel like pledging to the... Oh, shit, I probably shouldn't say Well, this is going. when is this going to go out? Is it going to go out before Tuesday? Uh, uh, yeah, 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 I can, I can delay it. It's, a, it's okay, they're not listening. Uh, <laughs> probably not. Probably, well, they probably listen through my phone right now. I'm sure I'm on some kind of a list. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I don't particularly feel like doing it, but, but I will because I, I have to and they make you do it. So, you know. Oh, I know what one you mean. Nation, one nation under God. And, right. and all that. That's right. Well, you, you and I both recently filled out the political compass test, which had yes. some question about that. I'm trying to remember what it was now. I, don't uh, know, I think I, there was more than one question about that, as a matter of fact. I don't remember. I just remember that I'm slightly more liberal than you. 
Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I compared. Uh, I compared. I'm like one dot below you, like literally. I, yeah, I'm just, I know. I'm just, I'm just one field down. You and I basically make Gandhi look like Mussolini with our <laughs> with our left wing attitude, don't we? <laughs> I, I question. Uh, I question that test a little bit after after Avatari took it, and he also ended up on the left. And I was like, well, if there's one guy in this world who's not on the left, it's that guy. Why is he Why is he checking out as fucking liberal? <laughs> See, that's exactly yeah, that's exactly what I was going to bring up. I compared my. Uh, I compared my results with my brother-in-law, uh, who uh, is the guy, the nice guy who bought me this wonderful beer. So mm-hmm. he's a real good guy. He's uh, he he comes from a conservative family and he's politically right-wing. He filled out this uh, the political compass thing, and not only was he left of center, he was like exactly smack dab on top of the alignment for Canada's most left-wing party, or second most left-wing party, which is only right-wing compared to Canada's communist party. So, it was interesting, considering who I plan to vote for, perhaps, I'm not decided yet, in our next election in October, both he and I were kind of like, if you add five to uh, how, what was it? It was liberal and conservative, and it was authoritarian or libertarian. Yes. So basically, if you add five points to the X and Y axes, that's who both of us were going to vote for. So it could just mm. be the way that we choose to answer our questions. Yeah, I think so. Because the questions, I mean, they're not vague, but they're kind of like, you know, a lot of them are sort of like really sort of basic human questions that I feel even right-wing people would, would, would feel to, you know, uh, answer rather liberally. Yeah. So, I, 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 yeah, it, it's a fucking online bullshit test, whatever. It is. I know. It's it's just a fun little thing to... And it's like a thought-provoking thing. I mean, even if you don't care about the results, it's kind of nice to be asked to the questions at all. Yeah, Makes you yeah. think about things. Uh, I am going to vote in the next election. Oh, good uh, for you. Yeah, well, you'll be able I, to. I, right I am not... I'm, yeah, that's right. I'm, I'm, well, it's not the nick of time. It's not this year. It's next year. It just uh, everybody starts really early uh, this yeah. year because, you know, it's America and, uh, you know, billions of dollars have to be poured into the campaigns and... Sure. All that, all that stuff. So th- uh, that's what's happening right now. And because I don't like it, I'm gonna I'm actually gonna get off my ass and vote. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I wrestled for a long time with whether I should even bother. Voting I, I, don't, I don't, but don't but I, I normally I don't care either. But this 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 election is very uh, let's say interesting. So uh, yeah. I, I I I will I will go just to vote against certain people. How's that? Okay. <laughs> Fair more, enough. More so than anything else. Yeah. That's a strategy that works better in America because you basically have your two-party system, whereas in Canada we have yes. three or even four parties and, the, and only one yeah, of them is conservative. Yeah, that's that's, that's very true. I'm not going to vote for either of those two primary parties, but uh, but the uh, it, it's more of a question, you know, like uh, if many people sit sit on their ass at home and and don't vote, people who who will vote might not, you know, it might not be the best choice, you know. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so, true enough. So I will do my 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 civic duty and uh, whatever. Well, well, good for you. I I should probably do the same, and we should probably not yeah, sink ourselves with talking about politics on a video game podcast. Enough. Computers, yeah? something, whatever. Yeah, yeah, something, <laughs> games, or whatever. Something about games. I I hear something about. 
Well, as a matter of fact, since I have the opportunity and the pleasure of having you on the show again, I wanted to ask you something that I'm not sure anyone has asked you. Um, mm -hmm. And that is, uh, you, were, you were known largely uh, on Twitter, at the very least, as Das Nostalgic, mm -hmm. and was wondering why, why Das? What's special about Das? And basically, you, play, you, you generally play games from a certain era of like a, yes. a decade and a half or so. And what's, mm -hmm. what's special about that era of video games to you? Well, it's because that's all I had. Um, I touched upon maybe maybe I didn't quite elaborate as much as uh, in my earlier podcasts, but it's it's because growing up, you know, in a, in the Soviet Union, uh, there wasn't really that much entertainment, so there weren't any consoles, and the late like mid to late eighties arcades were all really primitive, and a lot of them were mechanical, and uh, there really wasn't enough of sort of like. Uh, that sort of entertainment. There was a lot of movies, a lot of cartoons, and all that stuff, but there wasn't enough interactive entertainment. And uh, and uh, but there were computers around uh, in the late eighties. Uh, computers sort of seeped into um, you know the sort of workplaces and uh, uh, like universities and stuff. So and because of that, uh, people played games on them all the time uh, at work and at the research facilities and wherever else, wherever the computers were, there were games. So in Russia, first real console, it was uh, sort of um, um, marketed to, to people was a, Taiwan, uh, a Taiwanese Famicom knockoff. Huh. That was imported, but that didn't happen till 1992. Oh wow, that was almost the end of the life cycle of that. In for of for the rest of the world, yes, but for us, it was only the beginning. Lots mm. of Chinese and Taiwanese pirate carts, and those consoles were everywhere, and they were legally sold in Russia. You know, company a company set up a legal business to import Famiclones. Wow, uh, it was quite something. It, they branded it too as well. It, it's uh, there's I I've advertised on my podcast, but if you want to see how that all. Uh, happen. It's a very unique experience. Again, only Russian people will understand, but I think it 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 um, sort of gives uh, a good outlook for for a foreigner. It's called there's a there's a feature length length uh, AVGN style documentary on YouTube called The Curse of the Gray Elephant. Hmm. Uh, it's it's subtitled in many languages, including English, and the translation is actually very passable. Uh, but like I said, it's feature length, and but I do recommend for anybody who is kind of a uh, interested in how. Uh, Con what what console gaming was like uh, in post-Soviet Russia? Uh, that's probably would be the best uh, the the best place. It's very honest and sort of very descriptive. Uh, it's AVGN style, so there's a lot of swearing and a lot of like humorous sort of skits. But uh, but it's very well done, and I think it really sort of uh, brings that point across. But yeah, uh, other than that, there were just computers. There were just uh, and the computers were IBM PC computers, and usually they were years behind. You know. Uh, and uh, but they came with all kinds of games, and people just traded uh, games, and that's all I had. And uh, I did get essentially, eventually, I got a Famicom knockoff. But uh, until about mid to late nineties, when sort of uh, PlayStation uh, came on the market and became somewhat maybe affordable, people mostly just had computers. People PC gaming was prevalent uh, in Soviet and post-Soviet Union. So and because it was all piracy and stuff, I, I played like an insane amount of games because I never had to pay $50 for any of them. And uh, that, yeah, I, I grew up with it, which is why for me it's so important. So when I actually grew up and met people from different countries, I realized that my experience is, is, is not like other people's, you know? People grew up with uh, Mario and whatever. Actually, you know what? Uh, uh, I'm kind of... Uh, 
I'm leaving the Spectrum out. Uh, in the late 80s, early 90s, the ZX Spectrum clones were also very popular. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, Monty Mole, Dizzy, and Magic Knight, and, and whatnot. So uh, those are all good games. I also had that, but uh, um, somehow I just sort of gravitated more towards PC gaming, which was still more popular. Eventually it became more popular in the early 90s because people started... Um, bringing computers from home from work home you know or just flat out buying them stolen computers somewhere it's long dark <laughs> it's like sort of like a dark um sort of uh part of our russian history but whatever uh, you know people got computers at home and they still played pc games and uh, that was that you know mm-hmm. oh that's something yeah me i mean i i, I we all kind of have uh I forget what it is. It's like between the ages of like 10 and 16 or something, those are like the experiences for culture especially that kind of shape your preferences for the rest of your life to some degree. Yeah, I'd say. So uh, I can see where you're coming from there. <laughs> Me, I I don't know. I was kind of more into nostalgic games, I think, probably from like the age of like 20 to 30 or so. I'm like 36 now. So mm-hmm. it's probably even more recent than that. I bet until like two years ago or so. I was much more enthusiastic about the nostalgic stuff. I guess because, for me, the ga- the number of games that I played was so limited. And I thought I played tons of games. But since I've met all of you cool people, I learned about how like all these millions of things that I never experienced. And it's sort of hard for me to go back in many ways. I guess in part because I don't have the actual hardware anymore. Mm-hmm. I've been doing it through emulation. And that mm-hmm. really kind of takes away something special. A little bit. Those days, it just feels so throwaway and like... Maybe I, I I'd say yes and no. Um, I, I, like I understand not having the the physical stuff, but at the same like to me from a historical point of view, it just opens up so many opportunities, I guess, and oh, sure. uh, everything else. Like I, I feel like that's it's it's very acceptable. It's been actually very popular to sort of like look down on emulation throughout this year. I've seen like a lot of anti-emulation articles. Not that you say it, but it brings to mind that all those all sudden emulation hate. And it's like emulation is not dirty. It's 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 great. It's wonderful. No, it's <laughs> yes. a, it's a it's it's just an absolutely phenomenal thing that just allows so many people to do things that would be lost forever otherwise. Yeah. And thank goodness for uh uh, the uh, archive.org. Oh, yes. Oh, has... boy. I, I need to make a video on that. The video on that is going to be incoming. I, I do have to share my thoughts. I know it's been around for forever now, but uh, I, I feel like I, I have something to say. Oh, I sure. Do. Well, it's kind of come and gone from the, the public eye since it came out. So mm-hmm. there's it's kind of there, there's room once again for commentary, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But thank goodness for uh, Jason Scott and for his... Yeah team making that yes. stuff so accessible to everyone i Absolutely. really hope like he's totally setting precedence in terms of like, he's going out on a limb a little bit because what he's doing is clearly in contravention with the well that's that's what i want to comment on and my comment I'll, I'll save you from watching this video which will probably not come for months but it's <laughs> uh, but my, my video is uh, my my video my, my opinion on this is I, I don't think anybody gives a shit and I think it's a good thing. So uh, I hope so. And, I'm, and I'm one person who certainly just... doesn't give a shit is Jason Scott. So oh my gosh, he doesn't, who doesn't have a shit give a fuck. Exactly. So uh, uh, it's like he can give you plenty of shit, but he doesn't give a That's shit. That's right. I don't uh, know where it comes from. Uh, but uh, but yeah. So and uh, you know, Internet Archive is DMCA exempt. Uh, so yeah, is it? Yeah, it is. It has been for years, but uh, not that it's stopping anyone, but it doesn't matter. I think they all just print out all the legal threats and then just laugh at them and hang them on the wall. 
Um, sure, that worked well for uh, Pirate Bay for the longest time. Yeah, but it's more like uh, whatever. Let's, uh, I say we shouldn't really get into this now. Like, but that, but that's my opinion. I think it's beautiful. It's great. You can download. You cannot download those games from the uh, main uh, MSDS collection as streaming only, mm-hmm. and they have removed quite a few games. At really? request, yes. For their original, they removed like a, like a few hundred. However, a few thousand games are still on there, which is great. That it is. Uh, I think it's amazing. I think it works brilliantly. Like like it, I can I can run some of them on my on my on my shitty phone. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, oh yeah. Uh, it it's for me to live in a time where like my old ass computer can run a game in the browser at full speed and it's not an applet. You know, it's just JavaScript emulator. Mm-hmm. Running it and it runs so well. I I just I I can't believe what kind of amount of work and talent went into you know uh, rewriting DOSBox for well DOSBox in the first place and then rewriting it for JavaScript and making it very stable. It's very great. I oh, I, I am so impressed. That's the kind of stuff that gets me to think like the stuff where I think about where was I when it was brand new and where am I today and what's possible mm-hmm. now. That's the stuff that really uh, gets to me. So that I I feel very proud of to be in a day and age like that where that the stuff that I still love is still accessible and more accessible than ever and people are talking about it for the first time in two decades. It's awesome, mm-hmm. and that's what we're here to do today, right? Absolutely. Right on. Um, I oh a thought came to mind this week about our extremely good friend Ben Chandler. He mm-hmm. was on the show, I don't know, he was on He was on my show, I guess, four or five episodes ago, thereabouts, maybe a little bit more already. Jeez, time flies. And um, I wanted to stick a whole bunch of his old games in my show notes. He has, like, a, <laughs> a great library of yes. free freeware games that he's worked on. And sadly, whatever site that he's he had them hosted on seems to have gone kaput, and all of his hyperlinks on his website, including, I believe, his old... No, not his old blog. His old blog still works, but it links to a bunch of stuff that's no longer there. And oh, I just no. wanted to give the guy uh, credit for it. And he just cannot be... It's not that he can't be bothered, or maybe it is, but it doesn't, it doesn't bother him too much that they're gone when I asked him about it. He... Uh, said that uh, he's too busy doing awesome stuff today to worry about the stuff that he's done in the past. Yeah, and it's true and also, you know, he has his internet uh, is is kind of limited at times, so like for him to, to start moving files around is a bit, uh, you know. Yeah, perhaps he doesn't want to go uploading a bunch of stuff somewhere yeah. else and getting into all that. I was just yeah. thinking at the time, though, how much that reminded me of John Carmack and his own philosophy that he's just not a nostalgic person at all and he like doesn't really care that much to talk uh, about. I, I'm a bit games. guilty. I'm a bit like, uh, I, I, I'm a bit conflicted on this. Uh, the website that hosted, the web hosting that hosted my games that I made in Russia that nobody knows about, mm-hmm. but well, a few, few, few people who played them, and that was, it, the website is still there, but it switched to some kind of a weird downloading mechanism, and that erased all of the actual files. That are that are on there, so you can't. The website is there, but you cannot download any of my old games. And mm. this website, I will not divulge at this moment in time. Okay. Um, and I hate when people bring it up, but I do. I did like the fact that it's there, uh, and I have no access to that website because you know it's from like 
forever and a half ago. Like I don't have those emails, contact information. Like there's no way they're going to hang me over a password because it's not even like me anymore, you know, yeah. uh, from a website that I like registered in like 90s. Uh, but um, those, uh, it kind of bothers me. And I was like, should I just upload all that stuff? Because I do have the stuff still. Like, should I just upload the stuff somewhere just for the historical purposes that one day, I don't know, a bus will hit me or I'll just die of natural causes and like nobody will ever see those games that I, I made even if they stumble upon them somehow. I don't know. Should I? Shouldn't I? I probably should. Uh, but as of right now, nobody can get them except for me and people who maybe had them on hard drives, on mm-hmm. their, their hard drives for 15 years. There was, a, there was an extremely talented musician and artist that I used to hang out with in the 90s. He was a rave DJ. He was also, uh, he made um, mod music, uh, S3M music, I guess, mostly with Scream Tracker and then with Inertia Tracker. And he also used to make NC Art and uh, fonts. I don't know if they were True Type fonts. No, they were like .fon or something like that. I don't even remember what format that was. I think it predated True Type fonts where they were like bitmaps or something and they couldn't be resized. Um, he went by the name of Dysniak and he remixed one of my songs. I loved his music like crazy, and I just kind of got in touch with him because he was also from Toronto like I was when I was making that music. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I was like crazy into his stuff because he is a brilliant composer and a real outside-the-box kind of a thinker. And I had the amazing pleasure of him actually remixing one of my songs and playing it at a rave uh, in, I guess, 1999, 1998 or so. Nice. before that even. And I begged him for a copy of it, and he's like, no, I'm ashamed of it. I, I don't want to give that out. And then a couple of years or so later, I had a whole collection of this guy's music, and I don't know what happened to it, but I lost a couple of folders of my old mod music. And I, like, pride myself. I have many folders that have uh, files back to, like, 1994, 95, mm-hmm. with the original file date still on my, like, now Windows 10 computer. Yeah, so do I. Yeah, um, I uh... But I lost a couple of the folders, and I begged him, please, I love this music of yours. I want it back so badly. And he said, no, I'm ashamed of it. I don't even want to <laughs> load up the files. Sorry, they're gone forever. And oh, I searched no. Google, and they're nowhere. So... It's. Uh, I guess it's a choice that's up to the artist. I gotta respect the wishes of the artist. Yeah. The other, but I, uh, uh, I, sure I do find I preservation. Like I wouldn't feel bad about my decision if I if it, if I also wasn't somewhat of a little bit of a preservationist, you know. Mm. So uh, there's that. Yeah. Right. I actually had an amazing experience a couple of days ago. I got an email out of the blue from somebody who visited my old rave mixtape site, which is <laughs> mixtapes.demodulated.com. Yes, it's great. Email. Oh, thank you. I, uh, I started this website. It must have been like eight years ago or something now. I figured, okay, I'll just like rip one of my audio cassettes to MP3. I'll do it like once a week or something, and then I have like 120, 150 tapes or something. I'll be done in a, in a couple of years or three years or whatever. No problem. I got like maybe 20 tapes on there or something and I just couldn't be bothered because it takes 60 or 90 minutes like, right you've got, you've to, to digitize the, the digitize the tape yep and then yeah and then you have to touch it up or whatever and it was a lot of work it was very time consuming and you can't do anything else on your computer really you can't make any other noise or keep your computer busy it has to record it with true fidelity and all that so I just couldn't be bothered But so I've got a good 20 uh, tapes on there or so and I just got this email out of the blue from somebody saying he enjoyed my site a lot where can you send me money on PayPal or something as a donation Ooh. which is amazing that's so cool I I don't like selling number right. one I don't like selling somebody else's stuff right, it's sure. not all yours, I did was copy true. it to a file yeah. um, number two I don't even like selling my own stuff I'd rather give something away and make it free open source if I can mm. so I told the guy if he felt like donating money I gave him the URL for the Toronto Raver Info Project or TRIP which is this fantastic 
service. They've been around since 1995, I think. They um, are hired by rave companies, not even hired, but just asked to come. And they set up a little booth and they give out pamphlets and condoms and just information about harm reduction and safe use. Like they figure people are, kids are not going to abstain because people right. tell them it's horrible. They're, if they're going to do it anyway, they may as well know right. how to uh, reduce harm. And yes, so, I, I support that. That's a, I support that a lot. I support both ways, whatever. I mean, <laughs> abstinence is good and harm reduction is good depending on the situation. So good for them. So uh, I give it, education is good is, is what's good. That, there you go. That's the right way to say it. Yep. Yeah. I should – shit. I should rip more tapes. I bought this, <laughs> I bought this USB cassette deck thing from oh. Amazon. It's like a little Walkman with a USB nice. plug on it. And it is – although it's a USB – device the usb thing is a sound card you can't actually uh-huh. power the device with usb it either mm-hmm. needs batteries or to plug into the wall which is obnoxious that's i guess tape bummer. decks probably use a lot of electricity with all the uh, parts and all i don't know but uh it like cuts off like 60 percent of the base it has i don't know it has like a blowhead that cuts off at like 120 hertz or something so that's it sounds bummer. like crap and i had yeah. to do so much work to kind of restore it and I'll have to buy something else. I got my 20 bucks worth, I guess. If it was, like, audio cassettes of, like, someone talking, it would be perfect. But for mm-hmm. electronic music, yeah, with, like, no. little low bass tones, no go. I'll have to I'll have to take care of that. Anyway, I digress for a change. <laughs> um, before I read our uh, letters that we've received this week, I just wanted to mention this fantastic Android podcast software that I found, an app um, called Podcast Addict. Um, oh. It's this app for Android phones. I don't know if it's out on any other platforms. Um, very, very nicely configurable. It has a free version that's ad-supported, but it's fully functional. And if you want to give a donation of, I think, 3 or 350 or something, um, then you remove the ads, but it's equally functional. And I'll be sure to do that. Uh, but it can like you can subscribe to your podcast through RSS, and it has a search as well where you can just search by name and... Mm-hmm. All the podcasts I'm into, I was able to search by name, no matter how obscure. So that was great. Um, and then it will automatically download them whenever there's a new episode, and it automatically puts them into a playlist. So basically all I have to do, because I, I listen to my uh, podcasts while I'm commuting to and from work, and I just right. plug it into my car through the so, so do input. I. Yeah, so um, I just press the play button on this app, and I always have stuff to listen to. I don't have to sweat it at all. And I used to have, like... Uh, download the mp3s and copy them to my phone into a folder and then make a add them to my playlist or my queue or whatever um and if i forgot to add something then i just have nothing playing at all so it's just so great having having this terrific app uh taking care of all that trouble for me so podcast addict neat i'll i'll put that in the show notes that's a fantastic app i love uh i love free apps and i love useful apps and this is the best of both of those things all right so i have Oh, we we were we were graced with uh, amazing two letters by Father Beast, who has uh-huh. written us more than more than once or twice already. <laughs> um, hello, Father Beast. So so hello. so happy to have uh, letters from him. He always writes such uh, detailed, thoughtful letters. So um, the first one, what was it about? I don't know. It's too long for me to scan. I don't remember what it's about. So let's just read the first one and see how it goes. Father Beast says, "Hi, squares." I've had some difficulty finding the time to write you, so this email and the next will be just a little bit out of date. No problem. The first thing I wanted to talk about harks back to the episode where our beloved Trolls was guesting on your show. He said the oft-repeated idea that a text parser gives a player freedom. I wish to provide my counter-viewpoint to that. I don't remember whether Trolls was in favor or against it. I think he was against it and I was in favor of it, but I don't remember. 
Text parsers do not give the player freedom. They give a player the illusion of freedom. They hold out the promise of being able to type in whatever you want, but in actuality do not understand about 90% of the things you type in. To give an analogy, I ask you to imagine the classic scum interface with the selection of verbs in the corner. Having a text parser is like having that interface, except instead of the dozen or so words, you can scroll down through every word in the English language. The only problem is that the... Sorry. The only problem is that the game doesn't understand all those words and will give me the I don't understand response. So, when you try to... Oh, it will give you the I don't understand response when you try to use them. The interface then becomes a mini-game where you search hopelessly for the handful of words that the game actually does understand instead of playing the game that you wanted to play. In terms of the Space Quest histori- historian's sweary dialogue, that is fucking bullshit. Now, normally, I like to make fun of Space Quest historians swearing, but in this case, the imagery is quite apt. A text parser promising me freedom and giving me unseen limits like a text parser does is much like being promised great sex and then being shown a pile of bull droppings and told to go at it. Like I said, that is fucking bullshit. <laughs> Literally. A while back, I started playing the Space Quest series and played and enjoyed both Space Quest 1 VGA and Space Quest 2 VGA, the fan pro- project. I was a little apprehensive of the text parser in Space Quest 3, but decided to go ahead with it. My experience was not very good, since I didn't know the right words to explore myself, and so was limited to following a walkthrough, which wasn't nearly as fun. Although, let's be serious, it's a Sierra game, and exploration is usually rewarded with death. (laughs) My experience was bad enough that I said I would never play another text parser game. That decision made me very sad, as I really wanted to go back and play Zork, which I consider the lord of all text adventures. As some months went by, I realized that my problem with Space Quest 3 wasn't the parser itself, but rather that I don't, didn't know the words. So I decided that I would go back on my decision to never play another text parser game with one qualifier. If I have the list of words to that, ga- uh, that that game understands, then I'll go ahead and play another text parser game. Hmm. Playing with a word list would make the game almost as good as a scum game, where I can imagine my word list is in the corner of the screen. Okay, enough of the rant. I just get all red in the face whenever someone says that a text parser has so much freedom. It's like hearing someone say that Einstein provided, uh, proved that if you go faster in light, you go back in time. Father Beast. Interesting. <laughs> thank, you, thank you, Father Beast. Can, I, can I, can I quickly recommend something to Father yes. Beast? Um, I mean, I, I see the point, and I partially agree and I partially disagree, but that really is not the point. My, my point is, if, if uh, he does decide to... Uh, play uh, interactive fiction games with the list of verbs and the parser. Uh, I do highly recommend Legend Entertainment games that are uh, very flexible mm. uh, early ones, like Frederick Paul's Gateway, if uh, if you're in the mood for something serious, or let's say Eric the Unready, uh, if if you're in the mood for something very silly. Uh, those games uh, are beautiful, have insane amount of uh, sort of. Uh, uh, custom responses for just about everything. They're very creative. Like I always post that screenshot from Eric Dan Ready when you type in "eat shit." Um, is one of my favorite things in gaming in in general. I haven't uh, seen that. What does he do? Or should we see uh, for ourselves? You you should you should you should see you should seek for ourselves. It's a really cool paragraph of text which I cannot remember from the top of my head, but uh, it's really funny and something that you can only do in interactive fiction, really. And it also has a picture uh, on of you seen. It, uh, and it has uh, on the left. There's a list of verbs and a list of 
all the items on screen. So, but the list of verbs is like every verb that's possible. So, it will be like a, a hundred verbs to scroll through. Uh, and if you feel like it, you can just click on stuff really instead of being like uh, put rope. Instead of typing in put rope on hook, you can actually just manually select like put then rope then on hook uh, mm-hmm. from the list. But it's the best of both worlds, and those are games. Uh, those games are very underrated. But I would specifically recommend. Uh, there, there's a lot of them. Just look up Legend Entertainment and uh, sort of go through like their like early '90s stuff, and um, uh, they're a very cool forgotten company. Um, I might ga- also recommend along those lines um, Legion Suit Larry Seven, which uh, yeah. sort of has like it's point and click uh, for the most part, it, but it has it, some optional type in stuff. It's like a verb coin with the. With with words, I really like the UI. I actually think the UI in in, in Legion of Larry Seven is is fantastic. Yeah, um, it's like a verb coin with like an other with verbs, category, but then of. you can type it in. It's pretty much not used in the game almost at all, uh, right. except for you know in the beginning when they teach you to use it uh, in a tutorial, and then the rest is mainly for Easter eggs. Well, it kind uh, of solves the problem where you already know what the answer to something is, but you don't want to have to figure out what's the order of things I'm supposed to click in order yes. for Larry to know it. But like, I do think I think that interface is is great, and more games should 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 do that. I would actually instead of uh, pop up uh, verb coin style like eye, hand, and mouth, I would actually like to list of verbs pop be popped up. And actually, you know what else does it later? <laughs> Again, Legend Entertainment games that came later in the '90s that don't have the parser do that. You click on the object on the screen. And on the toolbar to the left or to the right, depending on the game, uh, the list of all the possible verbs uh, comes out. That's uh, 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 that's how it is in uh, Death Gate and Callahan's Cross Time Saloon, which is one of the best adventure games ever, and everyone should play it. Um, and yeah, so see, Legend Entertainment covers both of those grounds. Pretty mm. pretty amazing company. Oh my gosh, this beer is terrible. Yuck. Oh no. <laughs> Pardon me. Next. <laughs> <laughs> Next. I don't think I had anything more to say. Oh, um, the only Sierra text parser games I really had a lot of trouble with were, I guess, Space Quest 3 was the first, it was one of the first text parser games I played. I played Police Quest 1 and 2 and Space Quest 3. I guess those were my first parser games. Mm-hmm. And I never somehow had any problem with the text parser in that. The only game I had a problem with the parser ones were... Um, I guess really all the uh, King's Quest ones. Yeah, and King's Especially Quest, King Quest 3, uh, King Quest 4 is pretty confusing. Um, police Quest, as far as parser goes, it's really straightforward, Police Quest. And particularly mostly because all the difficult parts, parser-wise, are covered in the manual. Because they're essentially just, you're just going through the through the motions. Which is what, yeah. to me, what makes that game great in the first place. So, uh, um, yeah, so probably not so much in Police Quest, but yeah, King's Quest is probably the most confusing ones. Maybe because King's Quest was more of an open world, whereas Police Quest was more of a procedural thing, and I guess that doesn't really explain Space Quest. But I know that one big problem with Space Quest 3 is that, at least the way it starts out, is so aimless that I can see how you wouldn't really know what to type next or. That's a lot of CR games, though. Or that's a lot of adventure games in in general. Yeah, that one, yes. It it just, you don't know, you wake up and now what? You don't really have a a goal for the, the first while in that game. Yeah, but I urge listeners not to give up on on parser games. For sure. Just you can give up on some parser games, but don't give up on all parser games. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> all right, so we got another letter here from Father Beast. Let's, all right. Let's get out of, all right. 
Hi, Squares. I enjoyed your two episodes on the history of The Sims, and I'm somewhat late with my comments, but I guess I'll just send this and see if you read it. Well, see here, buddy. I was a subscriber to PC Gamer Magazine when the first Sims game came out, and I read my wife the glowing review they had. She was instantly interested, but we waited a couple of expansion packs until a couple of expansion packs had come out and the price of the original game had dropped some. For my part, any enthusiasm I had was somewhat tempered by the fact that The Sims was announced at the same time as Sim Mars, but that game never appeared. Anyway, the whole family decided to try it out. Okay, not the whole family, just me, my wife, our nine-year-old son, and six-year-old daughter. Our one-year-old son did not play. Thanks for that. <laughs> we all had some fun creating families, and someone told us about our, the money cheat, so we also bought huge houses for our families. Incidentally, I don't think anyone in our family ever played without the money cheat. Our son got on and earned our ire by using his computer time to bulldoze all our houses. <laughs> we were upset, but discovered that our families were still in the family's storage, waiting to be brought to some house. So, weren't all that upset. We did ban him from playing the game for a week, though. <laughs> However, when he got back on the game, he used, his he used this teleporter someone had made and we downloaded. It was the shape of a shower, but you would call your neighbors with it and they would be teleported to your lot. This was after he had turned the entire lot in a s into a swimming pool. You guessed it. The visitors would whirl into a swimsuit and go swimming, and my son took the ladders away. In this way, he murdered everyone in the neighborhood, gone beyond retrieval. After that, we banned him from the game permanently. <laughs> so me, my wife, and our daughter started over. My wife and I made single families with one person each, which we patterned after ourselves. My daughter somehow made a family with just a little girl in it. I recall that she had a toilet in the corner of her bedroom, which she thought was clever, since the Sims complain when there isn't much space around them. This backfired some when she had to shoo out her visitors from her bedroom in order to go to the bathroom. In time, my wife's character married my character, and she took over management with both of them. I decided that this was time for me to get out. I had fathomed the game by this time and figured it was just a dollhouse. That didn't interest me much, so I dropped out. I did get back... I did get back in some months later in order to experiment. The manual says that without walls, your furniture is just sitting on your lawn. So I decided why not have my furniture on my lawn. It's not like it's going to get rained on. So I made a character and just bought furniture. I quickly remembered that my sim had to be able to go to the bathroom in privacy, so I just put down a tiny toilet and some walls around it. Then I realized that small section of wall gave me a place to put a staircase. So I did that. The game would allow me to put out... To put... The game would allow me to put a tile one space from the supporting wall, and then one space from the tile, and so on. My second floor became the platform, which took up my entire lot space, and the only walls <laughs> were for the bathroom downstairs. It looked very odd on the neighborhood view. <laughs> there were a couple of odd quirks, such as visitors would walk around my dining room furniture in order to ring the bell on the bathroom door, which was the only door on the lot. <laughs> I never played any of the sequels, but my wife and daughter have kept up, usually buying a complete version of The Sims, whatever number, sometime after the next number comes out. That reminds me, on a side note, it seemed to me that The Sims and EverQuest were in a race for a while to see who could have the most expansions. EverQuest won that one eventually when The Sims went on to make Sims 2, and EverQuest went on to have, what, 15 expansions? Sometimes I pine for the poor lost Sim Mars. Father Beast. Oh, terrific. Thank you. Thank you, Father Beast. My my wife, actually, I think it was in Sims 2. 
maybe Sims 3, uh, made a lot, exactly like his, where you kind of build this tiny little chimney in the middle of a field and you put your toilet in it. <laughs> and otherwise, there's very little keeping you from sleeping on the lawn and eating on the lawn. You don't really need furniture. You can just lie down on the grass. And it's the most inexpensive lot you can pretty much have for your Sims. <laughs> um, I think... They kind of lose points because there's no decorations because it's a very uh, superficial game where the better decorated your house is, the more money you've spent, basically, the happier your sim is if you kind of sit like a pig and shit in your expensive house. But I think you can be more entertained sitting outside because you can watch stuff go by. So it's a totally viable way of playing the game, and that's just what I love about open simulation games like that, that you can be totally, uh, you can be totally kind of free and limitless in terms of how you want to play it. Whether you succeed or fail, there's no hard conditions governing whether you're succeeding or failing. It's just if you're able to do it and you're having fun with it, then you're succeeding. So that's cool that he built something with basically a pillar in the middle of the lot and then just built this huge kind of mushroom platform on top of it to live on. That's really neat. I haven't seen that before. You, you're not a Sims player, I take it, Anatoly. No, no, Never? no. I, 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 I tried, and I don't like those types of games. Sorry. I mean, I'm not gonna mm. hold anyone else from from playing them, but I personally don't, just don't enjoy them. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I too read very eagerly about the game in PC Gamer magazine. All the previews I thought sounded incredible, and the first one, after I played it, I didn't care at all, and I didn't think I would play it again. But then my ex-girlfriend got into it and she got me into it and I've enjoyed it ever since but it's definitely not for anybody it's just not a structured game in any way alright well that being said shall we move along to our main topic yeah sure yeah sure so today we're going to be talking about early 3D games yay Um, yay so 3D was kind of like a holy grail of computer of computer rendering and computer technology and game design and all that. I, I still probably, is. Uh, I mean, in is, a way, we're it? just moving into VR territory now. Now That's that we, we, we finally move into where we, to what we have been dreaming about for 20 years. That's true. We'll see how well that works out. Too. Yeah. It's kind of like superimposing ourselves into the 3D world instead of it just being displayed on a panel and we kind mm-hmm. of imagine ourselves inside of it. We'll see if that works out. I, I just, I'm just not sure. Um, uh, I'm I'm thinking that I might have seen some of the 3D stuff, a lot of the 3D stuff even before it came into games thanks to the demo scene, the ambitious uh, coders putting in all these effects, and you know, it might have just been one model of one 3D object that was spinning around or bouncing around or deforming or something like that. I'm pretty sure texture mapping I saw for the first time in uh, a demo and shading of uh, flat surfaces and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, the amazing minds at, uh, that make computer games turn those technologies into levels and to characters and all that kind of stuff. So uh, we're going to talk about the origins of that technology, at least in terms of a few platforms. Uh, I asked this question of our listeners on Twitter, and I got two responses. One of them is from Ori Avtalion. Hello, mm-hmm. Ori. Hello. Who says he remembers playing this f this first person shooter slash adventure hybrid called Menace of Doctor Spoil Sport. I had never heard of this one. How about you? No, not familiar. Let's see, 1992. I I have a link to it by David Lighthouser. Interesting. I don't know a damn thing about this game. There's a picture at the top here, so it sort of looks like uh. It sort of looks like um, a first-person adventure game, kind of. Interesting. Um, 
sort of like mist, I guess. I'm just looking at one single screenshot, which has like a, a square door on a gigantic blue square. I guess it's a house or a building or something, and there's a mouse cursor and a few verbs. There aren't even verbs on the side. They're just, uh, it says back, left, right, and there's a bunch of arrows. So, who knows? I can only imagine what what the kind of game this must be, but I hadn't heard of that one, and that's always cool. I'm going to have to check that out. I'll put it in the show notes for sure. The other response uh, we got was, oh, I love this name, Terminal Verbosity. <laughs> that is a fantastic name. Um, he says, uh, he, I think it's a he, when I think early polygons, I think Threads of Fate by Square. Not particularly early, but still. Is what he says, and in fact, I guess he's right because his it's, game is it's nineteen ninety nine on right, PlayStation. Good, yeah, yeah. So that's about twenty years or so after the first game that I'm going to mention here. But we all come into video games at different times. PlayStation was the first competent three D uh, console, if you ask me. I had a Nintendo sixty four. And I don't know if it was a really competent... Nintendo, well, Nintendo 64 was limited by a few things, but in, in many ways it was superior to PlayStation. Um, uh, but inferior in some others. The only Mainly thing I can think of that's storage. Is the, the, yeah, the, the well, it did a lot of things. It's that, but it's also you know it did a lot of things that PlayStation didn't do, uh, like uh, you know like map mapping, and uh, it, it was pretty impressive. I mean, if you look at uh, like sort of very late. Uh, game for N64, like say Conker's Bad Fur Day, right? One of the last ones. Like that, mm-hmm. that looks better than any PlayStation game would ever manage. That to. game, I can't remember. That game might have actually needed like an extra memory expansion or something that came with Donkey Kong 3D or something. Yeah, it's a rare game. And by that time, uh, mm. I, I don't mean it's a. Well, it is a rare game because it's like $250 just like if you wanted the cartridge, but because uh, it's right, so it's late. By the company rare as but well, it's also by company rare, yes. A very talented developer. <laughs> yes. And they were like really tight with Nintendo and they. Yes, they, just they did amazing they, things with Nintendo's technology. Yeah, like, they uh, are the ones that. Did, um, they did Donkey Kong Country. They did a lot of things. I mean, they Nintendo. also did the, uh, you know, Battletoads and uh, many other wonderful, oh, yeah. very many, many, many wonderful things. But I think they're partially responsible for designing, or is it? Oh, I, I forget who is responsible for designing the actual three uh, three D chip for the SNES. Um, that, oh, the Super FX chip. Yes, I, don't know. I think it's 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 one of them as well. They were all really? very very young. Yeah, I saw there's this uh, good documentary called From uh, From Bedrooms to Billions, which I will recommend to people. Uh, don't buy the Blu-ray. Apparently, uh, it has uh, mastering errors, but buy it online. It's pretty pricey, even for download. Download and physical is the same pr- price, which I have a big issue with, but. Uh, I do recommend for anybody who who is who is like American or from North America to uh, buy it. Uh, you don't have to buy all the extras unless you want like an hour extra hour or so of interviews, maybe two hours by by some of the British coding stars. But it's again an, an example of different gaming culture over there uh, because in over there in the UK, eight bit computers were the prevalent. Uh, gaming platform in the 80s. So you got your right. Commodores, you got your Spectrum, of Spectrum. course, you got the, the uh, BBC Micro, you got all kinds of weird-ass 8-bit computers, and a lot of people came up and became very rich very early on in their teenage years, and also very talented. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it's a great documentary that's uh, 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 a great watch, and uh, you know it, it features just about everyone, every publisher, every developer, who were all like 15 years old back then, if not less. Uh, it's 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 a good outlook. Like I'm familiar with it because I sort of heard the echo of it via the 
uh, you know, the ZX Spectrum games, but also, uh, you know, it's the kind of area Retro Gamer covers regularly because it's, you know, it's a British mag. So sure. that's that's all they ever do is just like like milk that those things dry basically. But but uh, in the video form to actually see those people, you, if you read if you have been reading Retro Gamer for a few years, you probably will not find anything new. But right. it's nice to hear it from you know from the horse's mouth, so to speak. And there's a lot of archival footage and stuff like that. It's very entertaining. I do recommend it. It's a bit pricey. I don't remember how much it was. I I, will, I still think like I, I remember thinking like like it's expensive. But but it's from bedrooms to billions. And now they're collecting money for I think just making a sequel, uh, just about the Amiga. Hmm. Well, that's great. Mm-hmm. I stuck that in the show notes just now. Great. Cool. I love seeing the archival footage of that stuff. I recently saw one about id Software when they were just uh, making Doom. Yes, the, so, a visit to uh, like probably the, the nineteen the mid ninety three footage. Yeah, 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 it's great. That was awesome. That was so awesome. Seeing yeah. people like testing out this. Er- I guess it was a beta of the of Doom that was yeah. after the one that I mentioned. Was it last week? The alpha. Yes. Uh, yeah. It's, it's almost. It's almost. Things. It's almost final. Yeah. It, uh, is. it uh, the sound effects. Uh, aren't finalized. There's some animations missing, and it's sort of right. chugging on the next on the next station. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's almost there, but there. But I do also like the Bobby Prince part when he like explaining about yeah. you got to eat your vegetables and stuff. <laughs> it, it's, it's really great. <laughs> that was now, I, I cannot unhear it now because it's there. Cause I know <laughs> he puts so much thought into that soundtrack, which yes. you just don't really necessarily know. But it's yeah, that was like the it had like the little sister taunting and the parents mm-hmm. uh, scolding. But it's totally in the music, like you know what yeah, I'm saying. Like they reused really that is. in the in a different the one that actually had the music, and it's like it's there. It's like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. You totally cannot unhear the vegetables thing now. I'm, I'm sticking this in the show notes, too. It was like 30 or 40 minutes long, and I was just riveted to my screen the whole time. It it's very, it's very much worth it. That's right. And with all that being said, I don't know whether Doom really fits as a 3 no, That's not what game. I'm, uh, I planned. Uh, again, like a lot of people think of, uh, I think, 3D as something that 90s kicked off, but uh, I came prepared to talk about 3D stuff from the 80s, which is also plentiful. Oh, fantastic. That's that's what we need. I um, did want to mention that Sierra called their graphical adventures, they called them 3D <laughs> yes, adventures. Yes, they did, on every fucking box. I know, which was totally a marketing thing. And I mean, this was, I guess, in contrast like versus text adventures that had no graphics. And I suppose you could walk like in front of and behind things, and you could walk like through a door, yeah. for example. It was 3D in design, but not in technology. I guess we didn't really know what 3D was when they called it a 3D adventure. But that's also not really what we're going to talk about today. Um, the first game I wanted to bring up, which I'm glad that to uh, I'm glad that you mentioned that you played this recently because mm-hmm. I haven't, but I have wonderful memories of it. Is Battlezone mm-hmm. for arcade. Yes. Which, um, if I'm not mistaken, was from 1980. Something like that. Uh, all the dates Amazing. that I am going to give, if, if any, are going to be for PC versions. So because a lot of the games that I'm going to be talking about came out on multiple platforms, usually subtract a couple of years from that. Like the, sure. Those games, the dates for some of them are absolutely incredible how early on they are. But uh, you have to think of them. There, a lot of them are even, the original versions are even older. Yeah, that's right. So I did play this game in arcades, not only as a kid, but this game really stuck around in arcades, at least in North America and probably Europe, for at least 10 years or so, because it's a very playable game. It is. It, um, 
You well, how, would you like to describe this since you saw it uh, not so long ago? Yes, I had the privilege. I, I didn't grow up uh, in North America, so in the Soviet Union, all games were crap. Although we had a few really cool mechanical arcades that are pretty awesome, but uh, uh, nothing like Battlezone, and especially not in, in 1980. But I, I last year at, when I was at the G, uh, at the GDC um, uh, in San Francisco, they had the they have this little place called Musée Mécanique. Uh, where it's a lot of sort of old-fashioned, uh, restored uh, sort of, not the arcades. There's not that many arcades there. I mean, there are a few, but there's just sort of old uh, sort of attractions from carnivals and stuff that are mechanical, that are restored. Like, watch the, put the quarter in there and watch the puppets do the execution. A lot of executions mm-hmm. uh, for some reason. A lot of that's arcade. It's just not video arcade. Uh, yeah, but also a lot of it is not, n- not interactive. Yeah, you know, you just sort of f- throw the thing and see things happen. Um, yeah, Nickelodeon stuff, or like watch the the Great Fire in 3D pictures. You know, the mm-hmm. slideshow is pretty pretty impressive. But one of them was the Battlezone arcade. And I was like, I've never played Battlezone, but I I mean the actual arcade Battlezone. I played the DOS Battlezone uh, in CGA. Uh, a very nice, sure. very nice port. Uh, but uh, so it's a tank game. You you look. Uh, you look through the you know the periscope sort of thing, and uh, you shoot other tanks before they shoot you. But the uh, the quirk is that you you work two sides of, of your uh, what are they called? Your tank treads. Yeah, the, the treads separately. So uh, you either if you use both of them, you go forward, and if you use just the side, you turn. Uh, and that's what really makes something that you cannot really that doesn't really translate well. To home, look, you know, even is, a dual it, analog is not the same. No, it's like not the a, same as. But first of all, you have to look at the, in in the thing. That's great. That's already great. Yes. That, that you actually have to look in the periscope, uh, and then of course that you have to work the handles is 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 really cool. It's a very mm-hmm. basic game. I mean, it's a wireframe 3D tanks. There's some triangular mountains in the back, and um, and you just uh, shoot things. I don't even think it's a, it's actually in color. Uh, I, I think it's like a plastic overlay that you're seeing. Uh, and uh, the actual... doesn't even have that. It's just like it's just like green, uh, like vector rays, basically. Yeah. yeah. That's it. It's all, it's a monochrome game. Is it a monochrome game? Wow, uh, my memory yeah, is, is my memory is really bad then. Um, but yeah, so it's it's whatever. But it's great. It, it plays fun. You you sort of. Uh, uh, you roll around and you shoot things. Mm-hmm. I I just learned when I was looking it up the other day that there were actually two versions made, and the other version was for the American military, which they used for actual tank training. I bet the uh, the arcade version had green uh, rays, mm-hmm. but the military one had gray rays. Yeah, really neat. I, I'm, it sounded like it was almost the same game. But it's uh, spawned a million different games of the same genre. Probably Stellar Seven is like the closest. Yes, the dynamic. I suppose that's what I, I was going to briefly mention. It Stellar Seven, also pretty early on. I mean, 1990. It's dynamics, mm. so it's pretty much improved Battlezone. And of course, Stellar Seven also had a sequel a few years on called the Nova Nine. Oh, that's right. Yep. Gear Draxon is the name of the bad guy in that one. I love that game, and I hate that game. Because it's unbelievably hard, and it's... Though I guess that's the only reason. It's a great game. It's just very, very hard. And I, I don't care if I ever play it again, honestly. <laughs> but I do... I have great memories of it, I think. I'm not sure. Uh, that is by far the oldest game, anyway, that yeah, that I had. It's pretty um, 
Uh, why don't you go ahead and mention some DOS stuff? The next one that I have real here is from 1989, and no doubt you have stuff. Oh, I have stuff in between. Well, also, uh, the arcade you ever play, the, the one that's the big one that people, I didn't look anything up on it, but I know it exists, and I've seen videos, and I've never seen it in person. Eye of the Robot? Eye Robot? Eye Robot. I don't think so. It's like a Let full 3D polygonal arcade game, and it looks insanely, like, advanced for the time. Oh, this is in. beautiful. No, I definitely haven't played this. Yeah, what, it looks what a little year like is Star it? Fox. Look up the year. Oh, you'll, let me see. You'll be pretty impressed. 1983. Yeah. Developed in 83, released in 84. Yeah. Atari. But look up. Look at the videos. I mean, they're 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 fluid. It's a, it's it looks like a fantastic action game in full 3D. It's pretty amazing. Oh my gosh, this is gorgeous. Yeah. This is so cool. Yeah, I know. Uh, I only read about it and seen the videos now that we have YouTube, YouTube and all that stuff. I've never even knew it existed for the longest time. But it looks incredibly advanced. Look it up, people. Um, uh, Also, I would like to mention, uh, since I said that there were... uh, All my list was basically just the DOS stuff. But I remember playing a couple of well, a lot of some of the games that I'm going to mention also came out on the Spectrum. But one game that is not on the list of the Spectrum only is uh, Eye of the Mask. And uh, look up that game. It's sort of a maze game where you avoid the mask. And then look up the specs for the Spectrum hardware, and, and you will realize how impressive that game is. <laughs> Just because, but it's a full 3D game. I, I'm going to mention. Uh, 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 one of the probably most important historically games uh, of all time, and it's uh, Elite. Sure. Uh, David Braben and uh, Ian Bell's Elite uh, arrived on DOS in '87, but the original release for BBC Micro uh, uh, is from 1984, I believe, and it came out on like 25 platforms. So there's a version of Elite for everything, including a pretty good version for Nintendo, which is very surprising. Um, really? Yep. Had no clue. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 uh, it's a it's a first space open world space trading game. Uh, if you've played any of the games that are sort of elite spawned off, which are numerous and still going, there's there's one going on right now. Actually, there's more than one. Uh, right. Well, Elite Dangerous is one of them. Is the official? It's made. David Braben's uh, yeah. Elite Dangerous, and you can also download every. If you Google uh, or use a search engine of your choice uh, to search um, uh, uh, Ian Bell Elite, you'll find the Elite page where he offers every version of original Elite for download with with David Braben's permission. So check them out. They're actually quite interesting to see, especially the Archimedes uh, Archimedes, uh, version. Um, DAS version is really good, but DAS also got another release in 91 called Elite Plus, which is a bit improved and coded by Chris Sawyer uh, ah. of Transport Tycoon. And mm. um, yeah, I mean, space trading game, very basic. You shoot stuff, you trade stuff from planet to planet. It's, it's very difficult, and you dock those rotating stations, which is a pain in the ass. Uh, you did that even back then, huh? I, I have very limited experience with the original Elite, but you do that in Elite Dangerous. Yeah, and it's it's really bad. I mean, it's 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 great if you can, but it's the first first and biggest difficulty of that game because you have to perfectly line up yourself, and if you, you know, you it also has a gravity pool if you're like near near the planet and stuff, and you start you have to start rotating yourself together with the opening. And uh, if you miss, you die. And it's, you know, it's a Spectrum game, so you can only save inside the stations. Well, right. not, not Spectrum game, but it's an 8-bit game. You can, only, you can only save when you're docked. So there is that. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, but I would encourage everyone to check it out. I mean, it's insanely huge game. It's procedurally generated, but it's not random. It's it's procedurally generated, you know, from the same seed, I guess. And uh, it's a giant world with the biggest at the time and for longest time too. It's it's really really impressive how much, especially considering what kind of machines. Like, look up the specs for BBC Micro. Or the spectrum, for that matter, and and see like what kind of game it is. It's 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 absolutely incredible what they managed to squeeze into. Uh, they, they were literally fighting for bits at the end. Of oh it. Yeah, yeah, two megahertz machine, the BBC Micro, uh, or the memory. How about the memory? You know, uh, like how much RAM did that have? Uh, like I don't mm. even know. Oh, it had the fanciest one had one hundred and twenty eight kilobytes yeah, of RAM. Yeah, the fanciest, but it was not in nineteen eighty four. I don't think so. <laughs> so uh, I don't know, but yeah. yeah, that's extremely humble. That's like yeah. half of an eight. I mean, I, I mean, Spectrum uh, is like forty eight k the the model, and that game came on Spectrum. That's where I got familiar with it. Uh, that's I saw it on Spectrum, and it's it's absolutely open world space trading, three uh, D game, quite quite something. Mm-hmm. Wireframe, similar to Battlezone yes, in its graphics. Yes, it's Wireframe, later versions on, on different consoles. Uh, 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 well, they filled it, it in. It, it, they're, they're filled in, yeah. Like the DOS version, you can actually choose between the Wireframe and the filled in mm. one, the first one, the 87 release. Uh, and, you know, on some on some platforms, because it's Wireframe see-through, you know, it doesn't erase the... The lines uh, that are oh right yeah and that's actually something that I forgot to mention about Battlezone, Battlezone which is something impressed me yeah it obscures mm-hmm. the the polygons that are behind another object yeah I'm sure that was a that could very well have been a more powerful machine than the BBC Micro well yeah well it's custom hardware so you know that's true it's probably a RISC machine and the BBC Micro is a CISC but that's one yeah. very early on 1984 I mean some of the people who are listening might not even be born. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So there you go. No doubt. That's right. And yep, yeah, an unbelievably innovative game that we're still basically making the same game. Yeah, I, I cannot play it anymore. I don't have the patience for it. It's it's a very difficult game. Sure. But well, when I was talking to my my brother-in-law, the same one who bought me this lovely beer, I thought, hi Eric, thanks thanks for the beer. <laughs> he uh, was telling me about No Man's Sky, which is an upcoming game for PlayStation Four and for Windows, which looks extremely gorgeous, and it's basically Elite except you can land and walk around on planets. Um, but the thing that uh, amazed him the most was the fact that it was procedurally generated worlds and that there are, like, tens of thousands of systems, each with, like, 20 planets in them. Mm-hmm. And I tried to tell him, oh, yeah, well, that's been happening for... It's like 30, 30 years, years yeah. <laughs> yeah, but uh, he wasn't hearing it. <laughs> oh, well. It, it, that, that, that whole thing never gets old. I love I love flying around and selling and trading and mm-hmm. fighting and fleeing. <laughs> and even, my, I think my favorite thing to do in Elite Dangerous, my favorite thing of all the other aspects of the game is actually landing on a ship, on a station. It looks really cool. So I, 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 I saw the videos. I saw someone's place and it looks really cool. I'm, Especially I'm after totally you land, you have the reward of the thing going inside, like when it lowers yes, the thing. You're like, beautiful. oh, I landed. <laughs> it's beautiful. But I, I have a joystick with uh, yacht control. So I kind of twist the joystick a little bit, and that's what helps me to uh, line up my rotation with the uh, the rotating uh, hole of the space station for those for that type. But yeah, landing was such a satisfying thing. It was my first challenge. You have to have like very gentle uh, finger on your throttle to make sure that you don't uh, go slamming into something. So that was such a reward. That was the biggest reward that I had in that game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's that's elite, I guess. Yeah. 
What else you got? Uh, I, I got more. Uh, also, uh, very early on, uh, Star Glider. Um, 1986 uh, DOS version. Not sure. I, I might have appeared on different platforms maybe a year earlier. Um, uh, it's by developed by Argonaut Software. Uh, later on, uh, known for uh, some other impressive, technically impressive stuff, and um, sort of like a 3D wireframe uh, sort of shooty thingy. You just sort of fly around shooting stuff on planet. You're like on planet, so you're in the surface. So you go around shooting things. You sort of fly into base to get repaired and continue until you're done. Very simple, but uh, it's, uh, again, for 1986, very impressive. Doesn't have open world or whatever, but, you know, you have lots of stuff on screen. You have shooting and stuff like that and full maneuvering in, in 3D. Mm-hmm. There. And it had filled polygons on the Amiga, which came out in '87, the year after. Yeah, uh, yeah, it, uh, yeah. It's Wireframe, and it also had a sequel, not also in the '80s, 1989. But that's essentially kind of a different game, uh, but also an early 3D game. Pretty cool. Uh, I don't know if I would recommend it, but it's it's worth a look, especially if you have a, like a really old DOS machine. Check it out. It's pretty. It looks a little similar to uh, Terminal Velocity. Yeah, it's something like that, actually. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually haven't made that connection. It's something like that, only decade earlier <laughs> yeah which is unbelievable it's a beautiful game though with mm-hmm. filled polygons anyway with the wireframes it somehow doesn't look well, it's like cga but uh, and it's also um you you can choose your cga palette which is pretty choose your own uh, oh so, that's, per- that's and rare. not just the two but it's also like it lets it lets you choose the the uh, the base color because you know in both the cga palettes you can swap one color um Hmm. So it gives you a little bit of a freedom if you don't like the the magenta cyan <laughs> c- combo. You don't have to stick with it, you know. That's nice. Yeah, it's very nice, especially for that kind of thing. So yeah, that's cool. Uh, another one that uh, I would like to mention that I am particularly fond of. I, I just replayed a couple of days ago a little bit of that. Is a game called Interface. Uh, phase Interface. Phase. Interface. Interface, yeah. Uh, it's actually made by the assembly line. Uh, those people who made uh, a few really cool games and they did them all in assembly. Uh, and uh, oh. it's a really cool game that's hard to describe. A lot of those games that I'm going to be describing are more simple than what they sound. Because uh, quite a few of them are very ambitious. It's a full 3D action game and it's sort of separated in sections. First, you in between the levels, you always travel in those tunnels that are sort of like 3D fly-throughs and you you can't hit the obstacles, so you just have to get to the end. And once Mm. you get to the end, you will find yourself in a representation, like you're hacking, but you're a 3D ship inside a computer, but you're not really, you know, it's like a lawnmower man sort of situation. Mm. And um, you receive messages from this girl you work with, and you can click the blueprint button and it shows an overhead map that you can zoom in and scale. It's like a blueprint but it has writing on it. Like read small print and small print is like in tiny letters and you just zoom in and it's full 3D. Uh, well, flat 3D. And uh, she's like, oh, I can't open this door. And you like you click on the door so you lock on it and then in a 3D world you travel to the object that represents that door in a 3D world and destroy it. Oh, neat. Uh, it's, cr- it's really cool while other stuff is shooting at you and it's all those weird 3D shapes and everything is animated and everything is moving and it's not just on one plane. Like, it's, it's, it's multi-leveled. It's hard to explain that there's those sort of checkered kind of squares on the floor and the ceiling and through that, through those checkers, you, 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 you travel 
up or down level. So there's multiple like sort of um, uh, sort of level like floors, I guess. And in which one of them is fully 3D navigatable and you go around shooting stuff and then she's like, oh, I can't move past the camera. So then you find where the camera is, destroy that. It's pretty repetitive. And then she's like, oh, I need to get this thing hacked. And you get to the one object that you don't have to destroy and you duck to it and then you play an arcade, 3D arcade sequence, you know? But it's really, <laughs> really cool. 89, very impressive. That's neat. I'm looking at a YouTube video of it now. It kind of, it kind of seems a lot like Descent in its gameplay and it's... Sort of only only you don't do corridors. If the things are open, you know, the you can you can go up, down, left, and right uh, at any will, at the actual level. You know, not with the pipe that leads leads to a level because those those sections are different. One you mm-hmm. the, you know you open uh, with flying through the tunnel, but once you make it out of the tunnel, that's when the actual gameplay starts. Yeah, and this this mechanic of uh, changing floors by kind of flying into the floor or ceiling, and that mm-hmm. takes you to the next floor up mm-hmm. or down. That's really interesting. It it's is. Like a, I, I guess mem- it was done to to, li- to limit the the amount of objects being drawn on screen. You know, to, so they yeah. don't have to be all in one level. Add something that's like a cheap cheat, I guess, to sure. just, to just load in and out different sections. But it's neat. That's something unique, though. But it's really cool. Yeah, uh, Amiga it version. It looks very computery. Yeah, uh, that's how I describe uh, this. Amiga version is a bit more technically. Uh, impressive. It has a few more effects going on, uh, but DOS version is always in that almost always in that case. You know, you can crank up your saddles cycles. It's it's timer sensitive. It's very old, but but if you crank up the saddles a bit, it runs better than the Amiga one. So uh, more smooth, and it's all like mouse controlled. Um, really? Yeah, you like you like you fly with your mouse. Well, it, when you have to click on things, you press space, and you have the actual pointer on screen. But uh, when you fly, and a Star Glider actually works the same way. Uh, you rotate your view with the mouse, but when you have when you hold the right mouse button, uh, your Y axis is your throttle. You know, so like moving mouse up will speed you up, uh, while moving it back will okay. will slow you down while you rotate in the 3D space with the mouse. So it's very intuitive. That I'm sure it takes a lot of uh, getting used. A to little bit. It's it's pre- it's it's pretty impressive. You just have to remember to you know hold the mouse button when you when you want to move. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, neat! Mm-hmm. So it's a beautiful game. It is. I yes. love this art style. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. Very. It is very computery. Very sort of like uh, early VR kind of. Uh, you know what they depicted early VR would be like. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. It is Lawnmower Man. Yep. Kind yep. of style. We just we just watched that movie again. It's pretty bad. It's terrible. Yeah. I, I own it, and I don't know why. <laughs> All right. Uh, what's next on the agenda? Well, uh, I have a whole bunch, really. Uh, do you want to talk about Dynamics stuff? Because Dynamics had... Well, actually, that's also 89. Let me fill in what's like in between. Um, uh, what do I have The in between 89 and like 87? Uh, there is a whole sort of slew of those now unknown uh, 3D action adventures. Um uh, first of all, I would like to mention this game called The Colony by Mindscape. came out on DOS in 88, but I think uh, the Mac version is the original in 1997, which is even more impressive. It's a full 3D game on, a, on an early Mac. Who knew? Uh, wow. And what separates it on DOS is that it runs in uh, uh, high-resolution EGA, so uh, 640 by 350. Um, hmm. And uh, it's a full... 
solid polygon first person adventure game uh you're sort of on this space station that's in 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 danger where no everybody disappeared and you just walk around exploring and make sure you don't press the wrong buttons and uh, you go around you go around and you sort of like once you're uh, like approach like a desk or some kind of other interactable object you get the black and white sort of very early mac like you know high res black and white uh clickable things where you can like open drawers and go through stuff but the main game is is uh is fulfilled polygon 3d really cool mm-hmm. uh don't trust many screenshots show you to you in black and white wireframe thing that's like the first minutes of the game before you turn the light on it's like all just wireframe black until you turn the light on and then it becomes filled polygon which is really cool uh yeah it's very impressive i mean it's, it's simple and you die a lot and that brings me to other games there is this company incentive software uh, i think they're british and they developed this 3d engine called freescape that ran on a variety of platforms, even really slow ones. I played some of those games on the Spectrum, and it's really insane. Uh, and those games are, uh, they're all kind of the same, but they're Driller, uh, Total Eclipse, uh, Dark Side, and Castle Master. And um, those are all those sort of like crude-filled polygons 3D adventure where you sort of go around and you try to figure out what to do, like where to press the buttons to go through the doors. It's really easy to die as well. Um, and uh, yeah, look look them up. Uh, Driller in America, I think, was called Space Station Oblivion, which is dumb, uh, but uh, uh, it's really cool. They're full three D first person adventures again, uh, especially considering some of the lower end platforms that we were released in. It's very impressive. Um, they're hard to play, but technically very advanced. Uh, in fact, so advanced uh, that same engine was used in that. Uh, What's that British show that everybody it became a meme? You know, the where kids would play a game in a 3D world. They would play it in the real world, but for the viewer, they were in a 3D world, and they would uh, the kids would have to tell you what to do because the actual player couldn't see because they were like on standing on the green screen, and they would have to do everything exact. It's when, oh, I don't know. It's, it's like night lore or whatever, whatever the fuck, and it's where the, it's where the host goes. Ooh, nasty. Uh, when, oh, I don't know. When somebody dies. But they use that same engine to make games for, for that TV show. And in the early 90s, they released that engine as a construction kit. It was called 3D Construction Kit and or uh, Virtual Reality Studio in in America. Uh, for uh, all those platforms, again, even on 8-bit computers, you could make those games. Granted, it's almost unusable. Like I could never figure out how to use it. It has its own scripting language. You could do, you know, polygons and shapes and connect them. And so it's very complicated. It came with a tape. The tape is on YouTube. If you Google three D const- or use a search engine of your choice to look for three D construction kit video, there will be like an educational video that tells you nothing. It's basically a promo tape. Huh. And the only thing I ever managed to do, they came, they came with example games, and I remember those example games very well. So you just play those, and it's another like sort of mini freescape adventure for you. Um, really cool. Um, look, look it up. It's a freescape engine, uh, and the colony kind of falls into the same territory. They're basically the same sort of game, but it's very impressive how how early on uh, those games were released. Yeah, these were early. 
examples of games that you would play with the mouse, as I recall? Uh, I mean, you would want to play them with a the mouse, but I didn't play them with a, with a mouse. It's all like use almost every key on your keyboard. Because not only you could like look right. up and down and jump, and some of them, some of them use jetpack. There's a cursor, but you pressing space would let you move the cursor, and pressing space again would f- put you back in the uh, in the movement mode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also kind of similar to uh, Under a Killing Moon. Yeah, sort of like that, and. Uh, uh, you could you could even like rotate your like pitch and yaw. You know, you could tilt your head and stuff. It's it's very impressive for mm-hmm. for. That's rare for its day. Yeah, yeah. Neat. I I just found that VHS tape. By the way, I'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> oh boy. It's like half an hour long. It looks pretty detailed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but it doesn't really teach you anything. At least oh, not the tape that I saw. Mm. This is about a half hour one or so. So maybe this is the same one. Huh. But yeah, those are like this. This is, I mean, that's quite a few we listed. That's just in between, you know, like eighty-seven and eighty-nine, basically. That's really early. It's unbelievable, honestly, what was possible with these very, these very modest platforms, and that uh, the same games were available on so many platforms. Like Elite was on like seven or eight different kinds of machines. Twenty-five. It's twenty-five. It, it holds the record as being the, the I think the 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 biggest like commercial platform release. And they, of full time. they must have had to rewrite it from scratch. For yeah, probably. One almost. Yeah, I, I would say at least still a large chunk of it. Jeez, I mean, it has be... a version for Nintendo. You know what I mean? Like for Nintendo, yeah. and that actually has actual three D planets. Uh, yeah, it's hard to describe because uh, in all the other versions, planets are just discs, right? Except for the filled one for Archimedes from like ninety-two, but that doesn't count. Like almost a decade later. Um, but on NES, it has like two, oh shit, like two ovals going around the planets. That gives you sort of right. like uh, I don't know. I'm not good at those geometric things. I was bad. Oh, I was like bad a bad student in school. In school, it's not like a torus, but it's just sort of goes. Uh, it's like a circle that goes around the planets, and there's two of them, sort of. Uh, uh, and it really sort of gives you an impression of you know a thing being. You know, round in shape. Mm. It's cool. Mm. In fact, I should probably pick up the cartridge now that I have a Retron Five. So let's see if it actually it will be able to handle that game. Oh yeah, how's that been working for you lately? Uh, Well, I had to just ship it back after seven months. Uh, Oh, you did. Did you get it back? uh, Not yet. Um, uh, The SNES port is way too tight, and it's really hard. It's really easy to like pop the pins out, which is what happened. Uh, mm. it's generally like not well made um, but uh, honestly uh, as far as uh, I just do still think it's, it's if you're not like going to be like serious about uh, collecting for uh, consoles you know ideally of course you would want new cables with original hardware uh, you would even not want new cables you would want CRT TV all over the place Probably, uh, but yeah. if you were on the new TV, you would want to buy the actual hardware upscaler that's separate. Otherwise, you're going to suck because of the delay in between the upscaling. So you would need a hardware upscaler, new cables, each of the platforms, blah 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 I don't mm-hmm. have that sort of money. I'm, 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 I'm always nearly borderline broke. So Retron 5 works fine for me. I can use original controllers, and uh, I can use original cartridges. And so far, I only hit on one game that didn't work, which pissed me off. But... Um, but other than that, I think it's. I don't have a big collection of games. It's just only a few. But slowly, I'm building here and there. 
but I can mm. pick up, but it's nice to be able to play with original controllers and uh, original cartridges, and you can trick it into playing ROMs, even though officially it doesn't do that. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's an emulator box with an HDMI output, so there's that. Also, probably one of the easier ways to play emulated Absolutely. games on a TV. Yep. Some, some well, platforms nice. work better than others. Well, you know, more accurate. This is from what I've heard. I don't have enough experience to, to sort of tell you. I, I will say that I do, like, sort of fuck up on, on the second-to-last level of Super Mario Brothers a lot more. Because I, oh, sure. I I like to do that level. Just I, I like to do a clean run. Just never non-stop. Just run through. Mm. And I, there's quite a few times where I cannot do that. So mm. I, I guess something does get a bit slower or faster. So like it's not the same. Uh, but only and and people who like play Mike Tyson's Punch Out and those people who can like beat it in in, in one go will tell you that Retron Five does not accurately emulate it. They can. That's the game that they use to measure it. You know, because it's so precise. You have to be so precise. Interesting. So, bit my text is quite shot. Like it's off, but yeah. other than that, I don't notice it. So it's good. I know that um, using, um, in particular, NES emulators on PC. If you play it with the clock speed uh, display on, so that you can see like what the speed of the emulation is, mm-hmm. it is the only emulator that frequently kind of goes like 199, 101, 99, 101. It really fluctuates a lot, and I don't know if that's. A matter of emulating the processor. Well, or yeah, you would never, you would never be perfect. Uh, it's, it's. Well, other ones are better, and they're either lying about the numbers that they give, or they're easier to emulate. I'm not sure. It's just, it's just different. I mean, it's, it's all again custom hardware, and and who knows what else. Uh, but, yeah. but, but personally, I, I, I do. I, I wanted to say something that that was I felt was important, but now I forgot what it was. So, <laughs> so here we go. Uh, again, Retro Five. It's a bit on the pricey side, and there's of course this, uh, this. Um, moral issue that's what held me off from from buying it for for a long time is that they took a bunch of GPL emulators and just shoved them into that machine and yes sold them without any credit or anything to to the original authors so there's that to keep in mind if that Uh, all they had to do is give credit too isn't that all the GPL says or do you have to give the source code too I guess Uh, I think you have to keep the source code You you are allowed to sell GPL stuff uh, yeah, I thought you were allowed to like sell. You could sell. You're basically selling the disc or the console. No, no, no. You, you software, can you can right? sell the software as well. Really? Yep. Yeah. Recently, huh. it's been brought up to my attention that uh, I was wrong about this. I thought you were supposed to bundle it with something, but nope. You can sell. You can sell GPL stuff just like that. But they broke the licenses. Basically, what they did, and mm. it's shoddily made sometimes. But again, there's always advantages and disadvantages. And in my case, I think the advantages is money. Sure. Yeah, my wife and I, we have a lot of the old consoles. We're going to do an episode about our old console devices. What we're missing is a television, because we, we threw our last television in the garbage, because we don't use it anymore. We hadn't used it in like a decade. But I had this awesome device. I can't remember what it was called, but it was a USB device that had, uh, I think it allowed for either a coaxial or uh, RCA inputs. Mm-hmm. And you could plug your console into it, which would allow you to view your console on your monitor. And it was especially for video games because it was very low latency. Mm-hmm. And I think it only had drivers. It was not for seven Windows Seven. Then maybe for Windows XP. They never made drivers for the later uh-huh. versions of Windows, which is a real shame. So that's it wouldn't a bummer. Work. A real bummer because that was a very useful device. We our our uh, consoles are just kind of sitting in a box right now, unused. Too bad. 
Oh well, we'll talk about that on another <laughs> another episode. Uh, what, what have you got for us next? Well, what, what did you have? Because all my next stuff is from 1989, and I'm just wondering if it's the same stuff. <laughs> okay, sure. Probably not. What have I got from 1980? Well, I, I have um, I have another arcade game, which we've talked about uh, at great length in this podcast, uh, which is a game called Hard Drive-In. Mm-hmm. It was like a sit-down car racing game. I guess it, you really would call it a simulation, although it was a very, very small track. It kind of reminded me in the size of its tracks to that car and driver mm-hmm, game, mm-hmm. which basically you would drive around on a big square, and it had a few... It, it had like a, a little bit of geography to it, yeah. a few turns, but basically you're in a very finite area doing very few also, things. Also, a game is terrible. Uh, car and driver? Yep. Terrible. Absolutely yep. terrible. Yep. Totally boring. The only people, the only reason people remember is it's like it's that game with a fucking parking lot. With a shopping mall parking yep. lot. Like That's how right. fucking... Oh, I was like, <laughs> what crossed your mind to be like... It's so boring. Like, yeah. It's like they had they had some 3D models from like 3D Studio or something and they're like, and what if we put physics the physics are cars awful. In it? Like on the, yeah. on the off-road map, like the one with the mountains, you can't drive. Like it doesn't yeah. work at all. And the, so the only thing that's left is fucking parking lot. And it's like, I mean, it's it's a cool novelty, I guess. But it's like, come on, you're in the car in a fucking parking lot. Like, what? What? I know that's very strange. Yeah, it's a looking glass game too. Uh, which is car and driver really? Yeah, well, it's the blue. It's before they merged. Blue sky? It's before yeah, it's before they merged. So yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Well, this one came before that, to my knowledge. Hard driving from 1989, which is an arcade game, and I I knew it at first. I think it was one of the early 50 cent games, which is expensive for that time, wow, yeah. as opposed to the 25 cent games. And it was like a sit down. Uh, Three dollars in today's money. Oh, if no. not more. <laughs> I don't know. Probably, probably double that. It's probably about a dollar. dollar really dropped, man. I right, I think it's I think it's been about a hundred percent inflation or whatever since then. Really? I think so. I, I looked up stuff like that not too long ago. Um, but you sit down in the cabinet. It has like a steering wheel. It has pedals. It has a gear shift. There's a horn. And it, what was really unique was that it actually had a little plastic key that you would have to turn to nice. turn your car on when you got started. And uh, uh, old co-host Chris. Hello, Chris. Missy like crazy, Hello. but he uh, he uh, has told us I think more than once about uh, being able to kind of kickstart the engine by rolling your car in idle down a hill until the engine turns over. So it kind of simulated the mechanics of the car to some uh, degree, huh. and it had physics and inertia. Where um, uh, I don't remember whether it had a force feedback wheel. I don't think it did, but there were there was some inertia in the game where, depending on how fast you were going, the car would kind of pull against you. The road would kind of pull against you, so you had to turn it a little bit more. Hmm. And if you're going too fast, that's you had the very interesting. Your tires starting to skid. It was pretty sophisticated. I it never had... like um, again growing up in the Soviet Union, never had a chance to sort of like. Uh experience those sort of full cabs you know no no none of that no like afterburner was like my dream for the longest time you know the actual afterburner the one that spun you around yeah Uh, oh that would be great i think i only saw that once i know the the cabinets like that i know they're a big investment they're usually with an arcade cabinet you can swap out the boards to some degree Mm -hmm. and at least when a game is not profitable anymore you just stick the the pcb board for another one in, yeah, but these were like single-purpose yeah. machines. Hard Drive-In did have a sequel called Stunt Drive-In. Hmm. I think it had another one, Race Drive-In. 
Maybe that was a different one. I don't know. But uh, they, those used the same cabinet, probably the same CPU, and they were just uh, different levels. The stunt driving one really showed off the physics engine because it had one thing where you could drive like a loop-de-loop mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, upside down. And uh, if you weren't going fast enough, then you would like slowly drop and then land on the top of your car and it would explode and your windshield would get, get all cracked. So it was largely like flat-shaded... Uh, filled polygons that were untextured. And I think it rendered like, I don't know, three or four other cars that were racing against you. It had a decent frame rate and it was a very like satisfying tactile kind of a world to navigate around in. That was a very, very good use of 3D technology. And as you said, simulations in general, like we sort of expect that Mm -hmm. a simulation of a machine or of an environment that it's going to be 3D. Yeah, and I want to say we already skipped. We were we're like into 1989, but we skipped over like quite a few simulators that were all 3D at that point and out on platforms. You know, that's right. What we have so, but those I think you can rather easily look up. A lot of them are like military. Uh, Microsoft Flight Simulator already had like quite a few versions by then. Yeah, you know? that started off before it was Microsoft. Yeah. Uh, that was what like 1983, something like 1982 that. maybe. Yeah. Very, very early. The, uh, and that was, I don't know if you call that 3D even. There was like a, a plane, like a... Oh, well, it was 3D, but kind of it's that. But, you know, also by then there were several versions already afterwards, and there, which each one gets more and more three-dimensional. But there's also, you know, uh, when did the Indy 500 come out? Uh, I that think was 1989. It, as well, yeah. But that's a, another game that uh, everybody talks about plenty about it's it deserves it but again like i i I am concentrating more of stuff that people might not remember so that's right well then my next example doesn't fit that at all because i wanted to just give a brief mention to a10 tank oh yeah which is is, it's a classic it really is a classic Mm -hmm. it's a genuinely fun game the engine is really really good um and especially because you could do such a variety of missions I guess one way that they sort of took advantage of the uh, of the game design and um, and uh, accommodated the somewhat limited engine was that the A10 plane just doesn't fly very high. It's like for uh, air to surface kind of missions for the most part, uh-huh. or it can shoot down other low flying aircraft like helicopters and stuff like that. So mostly you're kind of flying at the same altitude around. But you can see relatively far away, and of course the closer you get to some objects, like it would have incrementally higher detail models. I think uh, if you saw a car from far enough away, it might have just been like a square with like a couple of dots for wheels or something. But when you get close enough, it's clearly a car or a tank or something like that. I would recommend that That, game. Well, me too, totally. I think, I don't know whether it will hold up. I haven't played it in a long time. It, I miss it's it. I really it, got it's it. fine, which actually is a pretty good segue into into what I have to say because it's sure. eighty nine and it's a dynamics game. And weirdly mm. enough, dynamics had like four full three D games in nineteen all in nineteen eighty nine. I wonder if they have the same engine. Uh, yes, well, they, well, it's not the same. Let's face it; there wasn't no really such thing as what we understand as engine now, but they certainly reuse their rendering algorithm. How's that? That will just we'll sure. settle to that. The, the way the polygons were drawn and everything was all the same, but it wasn't really what we now say engine is. We sort of understand engine as a bit of a more middleware kind of thing. Where I guess so. Everybody kind of made their own engine, one per game, I guess. In those yeah, days, right? pretty much. So they just reused their rendering techniques, but sure as hell 
had enough. Uh, I'll start with like a lower kind of things. Like uh, one of them is Die Hard. Terrible, mm. terrible game, but it's an early third-person shooter. You're Bruce Willis without shoes in Nakatomi Plaza. Uh, full 3D multi-level Nakatomi Plaza. And uh, you on, you rotate. You can only rotate at uh, 90 degrees turns, but it's full 3D building, so you actually do a full 90 degree turn every time you rotate. Uh, controls are terrible. It's really hard to play. Almost impossible to... Pretty much impossible to finish. Um, it's bad, but it's cool because it's a from the back and because uh, uh, once you stop you like aim your hand to where sh- to shoot and before you aim like you're dead five times so uh, it's it's tough but it's cool it's it's a movie license and it's in full 3D and uh, you know from behind so very impressive that's something that uh, early 3D games struggled with for a long time, which was navigating around in a 3D mm-hmm. environment and aiming. Mm-hmm. A lot of those, like like the Freescape games, very awkward uh, to sort of have your pointer separate from the movement. So, yeah, it was a big issue um, mm-hmm. early on. Uh, another Dynamics game that's slightly more pop- famous on PCs, David Wolf Secret Agent. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, people know that game. It's full 3D... I, they market it as an interactive movie. You know, it has actors. Uh, right. It has digitized sound. Really cool uh, MT32 support. Uh, it's about a secret agent. And each level of the game is just a different 3D section, just an action scene set piece um, that you have to finish. You know, the first one is you're flying on the glider, shooting at boats. Then you're sort of parachuting off the plane. You have to land correctly. Then you're piloting a, a, a tank. Then like a, a, a plane... And it's all full of digitized people and, and cool stuff. In theory, um, right. game is terrible. Good variety, though. If nothing else, it's great variety, great, great music technology, and it's really corny and cheesy and fun. But it's not fun to play. Uh, it's sure. hard, and it's also one of those games. A lot of those games that we've mentioned are also very timer sensitive. Uh, and yeah. playing them on DOSBox, especially, I feel like with David Wolf, is is you have to get the cycles just just right and still off. Um, That's typical of early 3D mm-hmm. games, I think. Yeah, and uh, yeah, uh, unfortunately, great technology, n- not a great game. However, also in 1988, a, a big one for Dynamics and Activision lands, and that's McWarrior. Uh, mm-hmm. And that game is great. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah, do you, do, do you have any McWarrior memories? Um, I honestly, I'm trying to remember in MechWarrior 1, and I'm kind of struggling. MechWarrior 2 is where I spent the bulk of my time. That's everybody. <laughs> Great game. I know. <laughs> but that's that's I, not uh, Dynamics, though, at that point. No, that's right. That was, was it Microsoft? No. No, it's published it was... by Activision. I actually don't even know who developed it. I'm sure it's somebody very yeah. experienced. It feels like a game that was designed by seasoned professionals. It feels like an origin game in a lot of ways. Kind of, but it's, it's really impressive in 3D and, you know, well, it was late, but and, but it's also a really great game. MechWarrior 2 is amazing. And I don't even like mech games. Yeah. MechWarrior 2 is great. It, re- it really But is. the first one, considering it came out in 1989, amongst four other titles the Dynamics did, uh, it, it's, it's really great. I mean, uh, First of all, that I would like to point out, unlike many other mech games, so just unlike many games that sort of type, uh, the missions are randomized. Um, mm. So uh, each time you start a game, uh, is, the missions are going to be different. Uh, 
But it's the same thing. You're in the mech. You're running around the surface of the planet. You can, you know, rotate your body separate depending on the mech from 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 your legs, and uh, you shoot into others' robots' legs. And uh, like the first time you encounter flying robots, you shoot in your pants because you don't know how to aim up <laughs> and uh, right. it's it's all really really cool i mean it's a basic game and it's it's pretty difficult um but it has great ega art and uh yeah so uh, i i guess i i honestly don't know there's probably like mech games before in there somewhere that's are, that are not 3d first person uh, there's like a couple like battle tech strategies that westwood developed and i i don't know if they like overlay but uh honestly the first first person mech game uh, that anybody knows is mech warrior and it's really worth checking out right. it's a bit too vintagey you know it's a bit awkward here and there and randomized missions are not you know they they're not thought through you know so just sort of kind of you have to deal with that um sure. but it's it's really good example of early 3d that's very playable now that you mentioned Battletech, that kind of jogs a memory of mine. I, I, I'm, maybe I'm getting the franchise wrong. I sort of remember there being, I don't know if it was in Las Vegas or something, some place you could go to and play. It was kind of like, I wouldn't call it a virtual reality theater, but I think you had like a really, um, it, it was sort of an amusement park kind of a place you would go to where you would sit down and you had like these complex controls and... Uh, like with joysticks and like uh, switches and uh, flashing lights and all of that, and there was like a big almost movie screen size screen in front of you, and you could play. I think there were eight or sixteen of these stations, and you could play against each other or with each other. Interesting. Never heard of that. I remember reading about it in a magazine and just drooling over the concept. And it had it was driven by really powerful computers. I'm pretty sure this was in the 80s. I'm gonna have to look into this. But I thought it might have been the BattleTech universe because that hmm. was established a long time ago. Yeah. It was a it was a board game. Uh, like like a, board yeah, but it's actually it's more of a card game kind of. It's both. Okay. So because all of your stats for like all your body damage is on cards, and you sort of de- decks of like what ha- what's happening. You're collecting stuff. Um, so it's it's more like that. But the, it's been adapted in video games very early on. You know, mm-hmm. Westwood actually, before they became big for the adventure games, uh, did two really cool games. One is in uh, the uh, Crescent Hawks uh, Inception and Crescent Hawks Revenge. Uh, one is, they're, they're sequels to each other, but one is more an RPG. And the second one is kind of RPG like RTS. Well, not RTS, just a strategy game. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Nobody remembers them. Uh, I, I would suggest people would look them up. They're pretty cool. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. I can sort of see uh, Dune 2 in this a little bit. Uh, it's more, you know, you walk around. It's more like a cl- classic, almost JRPG kind of thing. Not even JRPG. It's weird. It has action sequences and everything, but uh, it's more like the first game is more Wasteland or that sort of t- thing more than anything else, you know? Okay. So, But it's still really cool. They're cool games. Hmm. Well, that's cool. Um. All right. What else do you, uh, do you have? Anything else from from that sort of the pre nineties? I think that was it. Yeah, 
from there I have early 90s, mm. but perhaps you have earlier 90s. My earliest 91 is 92. No. Or I have a 91, actually. I, I still have a couple of 89 things. Well, well b- briefly, um, Star Wars Arcade got ported to DOS in 89 uh, in oh, CGA. Yeah. That's back from 84 yeah, or something. something very or, like another one, 3D, early 3D thing. It was a pretty good yeah, port. Yeah, it was, a good, it was a really good port. If you have a mouse and everything, it's CGA, but it it's, translates those visuals perfectly, so... Uh, it's fun. It's Star Wars Arcade. It's great. Um, uh, another one, sort of like a brief throwaway, is uh, Apache Strike by Activision. Um, uh, that's a weird one. Uh, nobody remembers it because it wasn't particularly good, but you're in a helicopter inside a city. So all, all the buildings are filled polygons, but all the enemies are sprites. It's really weird. Ah. But you navigate this 3D grid like city and blast the enemies away. So it's nothing uh, too special. Uh, here, uh, but uh, I would like to mention an uh, interesting title that is forgotten today. I feel somewhat unfairly. An open world action RPG strategy something uh, game called Midwinter. And don't think I've ever heard of it. Yeah, uh, a lot of people didn't for some reason. I even had the sequel in I think '91. Um, it's sort of like. Uh, you have an open world, sort of really large world that's um, uh, all snow covered, you know, and you uh, have your characters and you just have to win this sort of war against the other, against the enemy. And you're free to sort of, you know, in each turn, you're like, okay, what do I want to do? I want to travel to this po- point. How am I going to do that? I'm going to do it on the snowmobile, you know, Uh and there you go. Next moment, you get a full 3D thing on the map. You know, you're moving in a snowmobile. When you make it there, then you can make your own sort of strategic move. But you actually execute each of them uh, yourself. And it's a giant, snowy, open world with plenty of vehicles to choose from and stuff like that. And you do some trading and uh, uh, some alliances and you do some shooting. It's cool. You know, like how I'm going to slide down the hill. Oh, I just use skis, you know, no fuel. And there you are on skis. Just don't fall. It's really difficult. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm checking it out on YouTube, mm-hmm. and I'm seeing like you're in a snowmobile kind of a vehicle or something. It looks like a lot of fun you can, to go You can the... choose what, what the vehicles are between the points. Ah. So it's an open-world th- like 3D multiple vehicle thing. And it had a sequel that's not... It's also called Midwinter, but it doesn't take place in the winter. And now you have planes and buses and uh, all kinds of shit. Uh, mm. Really cool. Some, somehow unfairly forgotten. Okay. I try it not really to describe. Like a lot of fun I kind of, of feel that them. as I'm talking, people should probably be, well, maybe after the fact, people should be looking those up. A lot of those games, like I don't, I feel that if I'll be describing a lot of them, I'll just confuse people. They're tough to describe, kind of. I just uh, for most of these, I'm I'm uh, putting a YouTube link. Good. In the show notes. Yeah, check those out, people, because uh, honestly, it probably sounds a lot more complicated than I'm saying, and it, I'm not probably doing a very good job of describing the gameplay. But it's open world vehicles, cool. Uh, oh, and if all you're interested in is the engine, it, it's really something to see it in motion. Yeah, no, it's really solid. And also, that world is really huge. It, it, yeah, it looks it's like big. It. Um, and from 19 it's very sort of um, uh, forgotten uh, kind of thing that I wish was not so forgotten. Uh, it's a game called The Sentinel. Uh, renamed The Sentry uh, in America. And again, it came out on different platforms earlier. Um, and it actually had a remake in late 90s called Sentinel Returns for Windows. 
which is not also not very known. The music for Sentinel Returns was written by John Carpenter. Uh, so I would, I would wow. and it's really surreal, but it's an exact remake of that game. Um, it's a weird strategic action game, and it's also really hard to describe, and it sounds very complicated, but it's not. You're on this, uh, I think it has a hundred levels. You're, uh, it's basically a puzzle game, kind of. Uh, you're in this landscape kind of thing, uh, with different terrain heights. Uh, and on the top, you have the sentry or the sentinel that each uh, every few seconds it, it turns. Uh, it makes it just a turns a little bit to one side, it goes around. And you're also sort of a thing, and you, 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 you can turn around and you can consume things in your view, like uh, trees. Trees give you one point of energy, or rocks. Rocks give you two points of energy. And you can use that energy to build things. Uh, you can build rocks and robots that, that you can transport to. Like you, use... you can build rocks? You can yeah you can create rocks like you uh, like you stack one rock it takes like two points of energy you stack another rock on on, on it and it takes two points of energy and then you have another body that takes like three points of energy so you have to make sure that you have enough and you can transport yourself from one body into the other and then consume your old body to get that energy and you, because you can't move you can only transport yourself from uh, you know a body to another body and you can only transport yourself on the on the squares that are visible. So you have to ele- be constantly elevating yourself. And you're screwed if, the, if huh. the sentry looks at you. You can put like a tree in front of you, but every time like a sentry hits a tree, it like subtracts one thing of energy from it. So a tree becomes nothing, a rock becomes a tree, a robot becomes a rock. And you, oh, your point is in the amount of time before it sees you to strategically sort of work out um, how to get yourself above the sentry and then transport yourself into it. And then you take a place and move on to the next level. Sounds complicated, but it's not. <laughs> That's weird. It kind of sounds like a board game, sort of. Sort of, but it's in real time. You just, uh, uh, but it looks really cool, uh, and it plays really well. Uh, it's a really cool, a really cool game. That's interesting. Actually, you describing this it reminds me a little bit of a game that I first saw at Bento Miso, a place I've just, I've talked about a few times, like a computer uh, game uh, development place. Um, it was a game. Called, oh, what's it called? Oh my gosh, it's about to come out too. Shoot, okay. I, I opened my big mouth and I can't remember the name of this. Oh no. Now. It's about to come out in a couple of days. I, all I'm remembering it by was the code name, which used to be called Murphy's Realm, which he renamed now. Oh, I'm going to have to look this up. But uh, it's sort of a similar game where you uh, have this like big grid of terrain, and by clicking it or putting things on top of it, or you have to like put down, um, you have to put down different kind of tiles on top of the terrain, and if they fit together, like you put water tiles together, or if you put mountain tiles together, then they sort of add up into a, an extra productive kind of a tile. Mm. And if you mismatch things, then you sort of lose a point, and it downgrades the tile by one point. And the idea is that you need to have enough points on your board in order to uh, pass hmm. the level. It might be a bit you... inspired by the Sentinel. It was pretty big in, Euro- in, in Europe, uh, especially considering it got a remake you know, and everything, even though nobody knows it existed, which, by the way, kept the interface from the thing. So it's like you control, you control buttons like A, B, 
like I, you know, like it's 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 really weird that you'd be controlling yeah. a modern game like that, but they decided to keep the interface. Which is oh, the sure. only thing oh. that you need to look up on how to control the game. Everything else is pretty self-explanatory. It's, it literally sounds more complicated than it is. And I would... It's a really cool game. I would... I would it does sound complicated. It, it yeah. is not. Uh, it's just really hard to explain. Uh, oh, and the game that I'm thinking of is called Fate, Te- Fate Tectonics. Hmm, interesting. I'm going to look that one up. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll, I'll link to it. I played the beta versions, and it was really, really interesting. Cool, cool. Yeah. So, uh, I, I do have... Um, kind of uh, other 80s games, but they kind of go together well with the in in their own subgroups. Well, I guess uh, since we're going to make a jump right into the 90s, um, yeah. well, actually, another game that's action puzzle, just like Sentinels, only worse is the Archipelagos. Um, hmm. uh, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, is that how you say it? Because I know the one one is Archipelago, right? Uh, archipelago, is it? I think. Is it? Yeah. See, in my language, it's different. So, okay. So, so let's say it's archipelagos, which sounds okay in English, okay. actually, right? Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so it's archipelagos, and it also got a remake in the early two thousands. Um, hmm. It's kind of the same as a Sentinel, only on just one plane, and not as good. Um, you're, uh, you're on those islands. And there are three Z plans, sort of checkboard kind of thing. Well, not just grid like, but they're, you know, water or land or sand, whatever. And uh, uh, on each one, there's like a giant monolith that's sucking the energy out of it and making, there's always like infected areas that are spreading and you can't touch them uh, or you die. So you have to destroy the obelisks that give the monolith the power before you destroy the monolith itself. And if you can get one, you can sort of like, you know, raise islands from from the water, kind of, you know, make passes passages for it. Also sounds more complicated than it actually is. Um, it's cool and visually pretty, pretty great, but it's not as fun as the Sentinel, which is, feels like a real game of like strategy and time and you're always sweating because time is running out. Um, archipelagos, archipelagos is is not that, but very similar, very similar concept. Um, uh, check it out. I guess I think there's even a version for iOS. I've been told. Uh, wow. I did not know that, but whatever. I don't know how good of a port it is. But another really cool thing from 1980 that's forgotten by now is a game called Vet uh, by Sphere and published by Spectrum Holobyte. Oh, the uh, Corvette game. Yes. Uh, uh, open. Don't know if I played it, but I remember the box. It's an it had a very open world box. driving in San Francisco, and I mean San Francisco. Really? Nothing like now that I've been to San Francisco, I know it looks like nothing like San Francisco. But it just and you just ride around the streets of eighties uh, San Francisco. Um, in 1989, an open-world driving yes, game is an incredible absolutely. thing. absolutely. The only one that I can compare to is the one that launched the year later, and we talked on my podcast, but in a different capacity, is uh, 1990 Test Drive 3, Passion, a game that I right. absolutely love. Me again, too. it's slightly broken, but it doesn't stop it from, in my mind, being the most impressive thing from that time. It's a yep. full 3D open-world driving game Physics are broken and controls kind of suck. And unfortunately, you can play it on the original model of 386 because it's so timer sensitive. You can't even perfectly emulate it in DOSBox. I mean, you can play it. It's just not going to be easy. But it's cool. You just drive on like Yosemite Pacific 
uh, over and over. And you're you're yeah. giving. I wanted to talk about that game this week. I tried to play it in DOSBox, but whatever version I downloaded mm-hmm. needed the copy protection, and I didn't have the manual mm-hmm. lookups, so I couldn't. Play oh, it. that sucks. It has like the punch up. The cop is like leaning on the car. It's like punch up the punch up the shit, boy. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a great game. I mean, I love it. Uh, so many times, like when I first realized that you don't even have to go straight to to the end. You can just take a different road and go look for chickens that you can run over. You know, and it's right. or hit a cow or <laughs> drive off into like a lake. <laughs> it's it's pretty great. Um, it's an amazing game technically, uh, even though it does fuck up technically a lot. I still think it's amazing. You sometimes can. And that was the first 3D game of the series, wasn't it? Yes, first real 3D game of the series. Yeah, I remember testing. And also, test and also one the last one, like last, on one for, last one for DOS as well. Right. Um, yeah. Was it was it Test Drive One where you're kind of always yes, on you were on the cliff. cliff yeah, there's always a mountain to the to the right or to the left, and the second one kind is always annoying. in a straight plane. You know, um, kind of the same, but but yeah. the third one is what really did it. Was developed. It felt so free. Oh, yeah. It was so pretty. It's great. Even love the landscape. Yeah, it's great. I mean, you go to like closed off bridges and everything, and you can run through the barn if you don't, if you manage not to hit anything. You know, there's cops that give you tickets, like in other test drives, but now they, or in the best, you like, you ignore the, uh, uh, the, whatchamacallit, the, the things that block your path at the uh, uh, rail, Roblox. yeah, the, like a, the road at the railroad crossing. Uh, see, I forgot. I forgot oh, the yeah, word. Yeah. And uh, you just wait for me too. And uh, you just wait for the train to go by, and then you start chasing the train. I mean, it, it's right. amazing. You can even go into the terrain, couldn't you? You go off. Yeah, you can go. You, you, it it will start. It will annoyingly start beeping at you to to like press F six yeah. to get back on the road. But but you don't but care. You can, do, you can it. do it. And then there's like light scenes with the there's a lighthouse, and you can see the lights, and it, and it yeah. starts raining. You can turn on your wipers, or there's bugs that hit your screen. Yeah, uh, I love the bugs, and you have to use yes, the wipers to get them off. And then you you nice can also touch. have like headlights and stuff. It's great. It looks yeah. amazing. Still, it looks really good. And even though I think it only uses 16 colors in the of VGA in, in, for the actual oh, for that really? for 3D, not like for dash and everything that's digitized, which is also pretty cool for the time. Uh, like so digitized yeah, of real cars. Uh, but I think for the landscape itself, it just 16 colors plus dithering. It weirdly uses dithering, like many of those things that also came out on Amiga did. I don't even know if Desert 3 also came out on Amiga, but it's like that look, like F29 Retaliator, where it like dithers colors for some reason, even though it's VGA, it could be using 256 colors, but what but yeah. what do I know? Uh, that is peculiar. But it's one of those. But yeah, I would recommend that game, even though you can pl- cannot, most will not be able to properly play it. It's great. Yeah. It's great fun. It definitely but, is. Uh... And that was 1990, yeah. so that still qualifies as an early. It does, game. and I mean, uh, at that point, you know, we already mentioned Stellar Seven, already mentioned Castle Master, um, and Archipelagos, Archipelagos, Archipelagos. Uh, um, uh, moving on to 1991, I guess, also goes together with Open World. A lot of people don't know this game exists, but it's Bethesda's uh, The Terminator. Uh, oh yeah, based on the original Terminator movie. You are either Kyle Reese or the Terminator by your choice, and you're dropped in LA of the 80s uh, with the full freedom to go find Sarah Connor for whatever purpose is you know your, your, that your character is given. And you can drive vehicles, you can shoot people, 
you can shop in stores and it's open world 3D city. <laughs> it's pretty cool. So peculiar. Yeah. It's really weird how people don't know this game exists. It's an open world city game, you know, pre GTA, first person 3D, really cool. And it feels for a Bethesda game, it feels more like what Bethesda makes nowadays, more than Bethesda always the other games they used to I make. I mean, Bethesda always made those games, kind of. Well, they made like sports games and stuff too, though. Didn't I, they? they had a pretty good variety. Uh, but of games. But they also, you know, Arena was a cool RPG. Yeah, they That's did Elder Scrolls Scrolls for the, for the longest time. time. And I mean, Daggerfall, and then that engine that Daggerfall is powered by that powered all of their shit for a while. They actually had a really cool first-person shooter series that nobody remembers either, based on the Terminator. You know, Future Shock and Skynet. Uh, really, really yes. cool. Full for, for, uh, first-person shooters, full 3D before pre uh, pre Quake. Uh, you know, predated Quake. Um, Never played them, but I think I remember hearing that they weren't very. Good. Uh, they're they're actually good. They're re- really good. Uh, uh, yeah, really? take it from me. I, I mentioned them on my podcast. Uh, uh, but you cannot play them one without the original release of of Future Shock is really buggy, like almost impossibly buggy. But if you combine it with Skynet, you can play both games in high res, and it fixes the bugs. So it will probably not be released anytime soon because, you know, rights, Terminator, franchise, Hollywood. So unlikely to see those things digitally anytime soon. But pirate them, buy them, whatever, play them. They're pretty cool. Uh, as, as you should do with the 1991 Terminator game. That's very impressive for how early on it is. Yeah, it sounds like mm-hmm. it's shopping in stores and stuff like that. I had well, no shopping in stores is, is just a, you know, that's a bitmap picture and just point to, like, I want to buy a gun or condoms, which you can. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's that. But it's the city that's impressive. And mm-hmm. uh, just about, I've actually almost exhausted my list, to be honest with you. Because... Um, I'm remembering, actually, when you mentioned Terminator, it brings to mind a game. I'm pretty sure, yeah, it was you that posted a video of this, RoboCop 3. Well, I'm, I'm going to get... Was that an early uh, yes, one? Yes, I'm going to get to that as well. But bef- in oh, between great. that, also in 1991, 4D boxing, or 4D sports boxing. <gasps> How can I forget yeah, this game? Right? I own this in the box. Yeah. I love this game so much. That's a cool fucking game. And uh, all kinds of 3D, including the first-person boxing mode in 3D. Right, so not only first-person boxing, but you can view you can, through the eyes of your opponent. Yes, yes. Like walk, get, get, you see yourself walking towards yourself yes. and punching towards the camera. Yes. It's so weird. It's what great. a great game that is. It's a great game. I, uh, for, those, for those who either have a copy of our MPC magazine or you can download a copy from, uh, from uh, squarefm.demodulated.com, I wrote an article about the day that I bought this game. <laughs> Thank you for sending me a copy, by the way. I really appreciate it. Oh, what a pleasure to send you. Are you kidding? You, you totally deserve a copy. I, I really enjoyed it. It's really cool. You have some sure. so, so I, handmade. Isn't yeah. it? <laughs> I hope you didn't get filthy like many of us did. <laughs> it's kind of poorly photocopied. Uh, it's great. It's do? great. Uh, I don't know how I feel about the real floppy defacing, but... Uh, Oh, I know. <laughs> but it's it's still really really cool to have something like that, especially in the That's Sierra good. shape. Did Chris do that? He did do that. Yes. And by the way, if you are able to read that that uh, disc, and you can make me like an ISO image or something of of it, or a, of a the image of, of the five inch one, of the oh of either. All right. He sent. Did he send you a five and a quarter did, inch one? He did send me a five and a quarter inch one. The the one that was oh, defaced, I I but but it, but it, I think I also got the three and a half one as well. I, I'll commit. I can okay. make you an image. Uh, 
That would be awesome. I'll put it on the website. Yeah, and the the, the face one I'm not putting in my slot, even though the recording is you know on the other side because uh, right. it's facing the other way for 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 the read head. I I, I would be I probably wouldn't want spray paint in, in the drive. No, I wouldn't at, at all. But it looks cool. It's like a rainbow. For those who don't know what the fuck I'm talking about right now, uh, uh, the five inch floppy from I think Police Quest two, one of the discs, and I don't know. It might have been different for different yes, people. Yes, and I saw Joe posted his, and he's like silver. Uh, I guess um, uh, Chris made, uh, what are those things called? The stencil of a, of a Sierra mm. logo, and he spray-painted right. the flops. With yeah, right, over the over magnetic the, part yes, and everything. The full five-inch thing, and mine is rainbow-colored. Uh, use different colors for the one that I got, and it's it looks. Yeah, I'm pretty sure everyone is. It looks yeah, it looks really cool, and you got to deface the fucking police quest too floppy for it, but mm-hmm. but I, I think it's really really cool thing. That's like he actually mm-hmm. made the freaking stencil. Yeah, yeah. Quite but cool. yeah, back to the 4D sports boxing. <laughs> 4D sports boxing. Great, yeah. great. Yeah, so I I bought this game because the box looks so mm-hmm. cool. This game has an amazing box, and the screenshots on the back, uh, it shows, like, the boxing match from all these mm-hmm. different angles, and I'm so, like, jaded that I don't really expect a, a game to kind of tell the truth with the screenshots. You think you figure if it's a, if it's a 3D game, they're going to show you, like, that two-second cutscene where they show, like, the hand-drawn animation of it or something, but everything on the box is in the game, and it is amazing how many different angles you can render of the fight. Mm-hmm. And it's untextured polygons. But it's cool because uh, it's one of them is like, you know, a bunch of views are on pre-rendered backgrounds, but the first person view is full 3D and it's like all full jiggly, like literally out of the eyes. It's There's one there's one view that puts uh the uh rendered or the, that puts the uh graphical mm-hmm. background that's like the side view yeah, yeah, of the, like uh, the default of the arena whatever. and you can see everybody sitting in the stands around. There's I think eight other views and those don't show a background because they can ah. you can rotate I I the, just don't care. I go straight the for the first person view just because it's of so course. unique. Of course. And that's very very innovative. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone else has done a first person mm-hmm. box no. game. I mean I'd- well, there was the original punch well, but not game 3D. You know what arcade. I mean? Like it, it was. It, it was 3D. also right. 3D and pretty realistic for big, you know, big heads and like uh, square bodies. But but still, the motion was yeah. Great. Motions are great and yeah, animation's animation fantastic and the collision like it feels like you know it yeah. looks like you're punching something you know so or being punched so. Uh, yeah, it's really, really, really cool. It's a really cool game. If you're, an, I, I would suggest if listeners are not familiar that they would check it out. It's, it's definitely worth it. It's, it still holds up really well. It's fun to play. It's a genuinely mm-hmm. fun game, and it's even more fun if you play it with like a friend and drunk. And drunk for yeah. sure. Uh, actually, you know what? Uh, well, I guess we're gonna move on. I, I realized that I missed one. I missed an important one. Um, oh, uh, this 1990 Alpha Waves, uh, also known as Continuum in the in the states. Um, hmm. it's the first 3D platformer. Uh, oh, you you've talked about this uh, one. You did a video. Of this, I did not do you? a video of it, but I I post things about it regularly to remind people that it exists because most people don't know about it. It's it, it's the friggin' bouncing yes, it's game. a bouncy bouncy oh, thing. In this looks hard. It's hard and it's pretty clunky, but first 3D platformer, uh, undeniably, and. Uh, uh, it's not a PC original. It was ported to PC from from I think an Atari ST, but the PC code is not ported. It's a ground up 
uh, written the port was handled by Frederick Reynal, uh, who went on to do Alone in the Dark, and that's what set off his interest for 3D. He saw, uh, he liked experimenting with IBM PCs. He liked that platform. Uh, he saw a chance. He worked in the infogrames to uh, or infogram, whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. I still stand by my pronunciation. And because uh, uh, if it was infogram, there would be you know two M's. Uh, and it's not how you pronounce it in French in the first place. So, uh, oh yeah, it uh, would be. It and would be. Uh, and 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 also, I think I actually heard Frederick. And don't hold me to this, but I think I actually heard Frederick Cornell say infogrames. Uh, yeah, really. So uh, I do stand by by infogrames. <laughs> so, but whatever, we'll uh, look it up later. Look up the GDC the GDC sure. talk that he did, which is by the way, his GDC talk about the Lone in the Dark is one of the greatest. I I oh, I love it that. because he's so passionate about it. Uh, and everything and you know he speaks bad English but it doesn't matter he, his passion comes through and it's also weird to realize that's one of those projects that never was really like uh, they didn't spend months developing it they just sort of like had one meeting where it's like this is where everything is you do the background art you do this you do that you, you do whatever and we'll meet in this office like two months later and then they came back together put the game together and it worked and bam there it is Alone in the Dark you'd figure a game like Alone in the Dark would be like months of like suffering through design and, and figuring out technology. Nope. Nope. Yeah. Just came together. They just they knew huh. what he knew what he wanted to make. He knew what the technology was capable of. They were all working on their own on different parts and bam. Done. That's crazy. That's that's another example, by the way, of a game where you walk around in a three D environment and you have to aim from the third person yes. and it's really frustrating. Yes, it's, but you know, proto Resident Evil. With Resident Evil pretty much ripped off alone in the dark. Not not pretty much yeah. ripped off. It ripped it off down to do you want to pick this up, yes or no. Probably didn't even rip off you know, it ripped off the good parts and the bad parts. So but I love yeah. Alone in the Dark. But uh what Me what too. led uh Frederick to to that uh, is porting alpha waves. He what he had an interest in 3D. He had an interest in IBM PC. So he saw that as his opportunity. That code is from the ground up, his own code to display a 3D platformer on the PC in 1990. Hmm. Really cool. It's it's a bit it's awkward. It's an awkward game, but but from a technological standpoint, it's it's really cool. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's 1999, and then moving into the, when the 3D era sort of blooms. Uh, and again, we're skipping over a lot of simulators, a lot of simulators. In between like 87 yeah. and 92, there is a ton of simulators, all 3D with all kinds of complex physics and everything. So uh, mm-hmm. um, on, on my podcast, the Nostalgia Podcast, uh, Chris Olson talks oh, damn near all of them. So. Uh, there, there's a lot there. If anybody's interested, I'm not a uh, simulator uh, expert, so I, I wouldn't know. But uh, uh, 1992. Now, uh, RoboCop game, RoboCop three. I made a video. I had never played that before, but the first time I saw it was on the video yes. that you made. It looks incredible. It's... It looks just like first person. RoboCop. Yes, it does. Yes, but it's a very awkward game, and uh, unfortunately, in in many ways, especially in the first person series, which is a shame. Um, but uh, it's made by the people who made the F twenty nine Retaliator uh, digital image design, okay. so it looks exactly like that. Uh, mm. And so they also went on to do like a bunch of other sort of actiony games later on called Epic and Inferno using the same technology, and they kind of look like that. Um, mm. But they're sort of you, they're just 
you know, they're more on the sim side, but they're not simulators. Just like Retaliator, they just fly around, blow shit up. And but Retaliator was the most simu- simulator one of them. But RoboCop was cool use of a movie license. You know, uh, came out two years before the movie because two years before the movie because the movie sat in the shelves for two years because it was awful and the company went bankrupt. Um, not the first one. RoboCop is a great movie, but the the second sequel is pathetic. And so yes. is the first sequel, to be honest. I know people defend it all the time. Fuck, no, fuck sucks. Robocop 2. It doesn't, it doesn't it have the sucks. heart that's too violent and it's, it, it misinterprets everything that was good about the first one. I don't know how people can just say it's good. It might not be awful, but like it, the heart of Robocop is not in it. You know, it's, it's just sort of like a, a cash in by people who tried to figure out what made Robocop good and failed. Um, That's right. So, but the first RoboCop is amazing. Uh, but uh, RoboCop Three is a decent game. It's uh, unfortunately the uh, the sound system that they use that only plays one sound uh, uh, in first person in the entirety of the game. It's only one sound being played at a time. Uh, means you can't hear you can't hear the radar um, in first person. Uh, uh, sections if somebody's shooting at you or something's happening, which is all the time. Uh, which means in the time sections, when you can't hear the radar you, you don't know if you're taking the right path, you're screwed. Um, uh, yeah. So you can choose between first and no, third person? No, it's, it? it's different. Uh, ch- check oh, out it's my video. Scene. Yeah, it's scene by scene. Like The first one is a driving scene. Then there's a first person scene. Then there's not a driving scene. There's a first person scene. Then you fly in your jetpack. And then there's a first person or any multiple camera view fight with a Japanese robot. Uh, which is sort of like you're not supposed to fight. Actually, it's it's really weird because the whole game is ma- can be mouse controlled, the entirety of it, mm. up until that moment. Mm. The the way to get your gun from a holster, because you know the other robot is a samurai. He's Japanese, of course. There's that. Of course. Um, uh, enter key gets your gun, and you instantly do. It's a really tough fight, but you can just Indiana Jones that you press enter, you pull out your gun, and you just shoot him to bits, and you're done. <laughs> uh, which is really funny but yeah it's it's cool yeah. because that's the game that's like when it's first person even how unfortunate that it is of a port uh, it's like Robocop you have the targeting you have the directives uh, you know it's cool yeah the UI and just moving yeah, from area to area is it's, really it's beautiful cool. uh, it's very cool so uh, and uh, I honestly think I've actually just exhausted my list. The only two that I haven't mentioned that sort of go hand in hand is Virus and Conquer from 1988 and 1990. Virus is a bit more well-known. It's done by David Braben, Braben of Elite. Hmm. Uh, they're sort of like, it's really hard to describe. They're both action games. One is in a, Virus is in a flying ship and the Conquer is in a tank. Um, and it definitely Conquer is inspired by Virus. Uh, it's like a German game, I think. And uh, Virus is this game you fly around the landscape, but you only see a chunk of a landscape at any given time. It just scrolls. The the 3D shapes scroll. Uh, it looks just like a it looks like a demo scene. Yes, production. and sort of like a lot of voxel games nowadays look, where it's just yeah. an island floating, but it's really you know it's really part of a world. And it's this is gorgeous. It's great. Uh, but wow. the funny thing about it is you can control some people tell me you only really you only really mastered virus when it mastered it with a mouse and the way it's done with the mouse is you your mouse is literally that ship so tilting it up and down will tilt it up and down you know like uh, pitch it and moving the mouse from side to side is your yaw and and the buttons are throttle 
and it's insane. <laughs> it's impossible to control. But it's full 3D and it's really cool. And it's physics. It's, so your gravity is always drags you down. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's cool. It kind of reminds me of a Lunar Lander game or it's what it is, but in three, it's in 3D those. and you're shooting. Yeah. Yeah. Very peculiar. It's, it's cool. It's, it's, it's really style. hard to play. And Conquer is just that, but in a tank. You huh. you move your tank threads separate from you know from the cannon, and you shoot other things. Virus is better, hmm. but they look very similar. And uh, Conquer is also a David. Braben no, it's game. not. I think it's like a German game. I, I forget, but it's definitely virus inspired. They were just like, let's take virus and make it in the tank. Um, huh. And both of those came out on multiple platforms, virus especially. Um, so that's that for me. Uh, like after. Well, I've got... Oh, go yeah, ahead. I was just going to say that after that, you know, first-person shooters started appearing, even though they're not really 3D, and we sort of kick off the era of the real 3D after that. All of the games that I mentioned, some of them don't even have flat-shaded polygons, but most of them are just flat-shaded polygons. None of them have any textures anywhere in sight. Um, mm-hmm. And we're sort of early 90s come, and we get crazy shit like, you know, Ultima and underworld and and uh, fully textured yeah. things uh, real 3d is not real like light mapped 3d it's not really uh, people forget how quickly uh technology you know uh, uh progressed i mean b- between doom 2 and quake only 2 years you know uh yeah that's in between incredible. doom 2 and half life only 4 years you know um, mm-hmm. It's it's uh, technology just marched on very very fast and. Uh, I think Ultima Underworld must have been one of the first textured polygon. Well, games that's that's I in saw. full three D too. Like you know, like it was real three yes. D, like not like first person shooter three D at the time. It was technically. Although it did have sprites for, for uh, characters, characters, but it was a real like you could look up and down, and it would be a real look up and down thing. It would it renders, you know, all the polygons as surfaces. So. Yeah, that's right. And you could, uh, in the options, turn... I think the difference between, like, low, medium, and high detail was whether the ceiling, ceiling floor, floor, and walls yep. were textured, mm-hmm. which was so cool. It looked great both mm-hmm. ways. But it was real real 3D, full 3D, six degree of freedom 3D, with physics and enemies and big sprawling words, worlds. Really impressive. 1993, yep. right? I think. 92, as a matter of fact. Is it 92? I think so. Huh. I think so. I, I thought it, it was behind Wolfenstein 3D, but then again, Wolfenstein 3D managed to release two games in 92 alone. So, Let me see. Ultima Underworld, 1992. Oh, wow. That's, yeah, that's crazy. It was, was Wolfenstein before? Wolfenstein, yes, Wolfenstein 3D came out, I think, in May of 92. Yes, with you're spe- right. With and I don't know. Spear of Destiny arriving in the fall. Uh, yeah. That that was just a level pack, though, really, wasn't it? Yeah, but it's actually better than the last three seasons of three three seasons three three episodes of Wolfenstein. Like, I only like uh, the yeah. first three episodes of Wolfenstein. You can tell that the other three were made very fast and shitty. So, Spear of Destiny is a bit more refined, but it has like new bosses. You know, it doesn't have anything new, but it has new bosses and stuff, and new mu- new music, yeah. and a few new sprites. <laughs> yeah, I never enjoyed Spear of Destiny for. I neither did. Just was more I never did either. But like last year, I picked it up and tried giving it a fair shot, and you know, I was like, yeah, you know what? It is better. It is better than like the last uh, three episodes of Wolfenstein that really pissed me off. Mm-hmm. Three or is it? Or is they got they got better at it. Yeah, well, they just put more time. Uh, it's a known story that Scott Miller made them 
like make it into separate because you know like to buy the whole entirety of Wolfenstein 3D because you can buy you know Cher just the first and then the, the next three were uh, registered and, yeah we're like but the whole thing yeah, the, 20 or 20 yeah, the whole thing was like 60 bucks so yeah, yeah so you could buy like a whole thing or you can buy them in halves um, but but That's yeah he but he made them he made them do that he was like how, how long does it take to make a level what make more so right. so yeah they're not they were not there you know they didn't have the the polish or the desire I guess to make them but whatever so what do you have sir Those- Okay, I've got two more games that I'll mention. Ultima Underworld was one oh, of the, cool. was another one I was going to talk about. Um, oh, and I, one one thing that I remember being unique about Ultima Underworld versus Wolf 3D was that it had like 45 degree angle walls or walls that didn't have to be 90 degree right. angles. Well, it's funny that uh, about that and System Shock by extension because it uses the same technology. Yes. Actually, that engine is limited to even though it displays everything in full 3D, the walls are, everything is actually also on the grid. Uh, and, but you just yeah, can connect yeah. that grid in any way. Even in, yeah, you can connect the corners, in corners not just the and, walls, But right? it also applies to like 3D space, so you can have like a slope. You know, you can, you can connect yes. the surface from, from bottom, like right to the top left, you know. And, it would, and you can have a bridge and walk under it. Yeah, but it's also, you know, it also had like lighting and stuff like this. Well, Wolfenstein 3D is not a 3D game, technically. All it does is right. just uh, how far game. is that stripe of texture away from you and how much it has to scale it. That's all it does, which is why it's so fucking fast. I mean, people forget Wolfenstein 3D tops out at uh, it's 70 FPS at the maximum re- yeah. refresh rate, or is it 75? I think it might be 75. Uh, 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 maybe. And it's really fast. But remember. it's not the real 3D game. Yeah. It's only it's it's an optical illusion. I mean, neither is Doom, but yep. Doom is a whole different uh, sort of thing. Oh, that's right. I, I watched a YouTube video a little while ago that showed a Doom scene being mm-hmm. rendered very, very slowly. That was fascinating. Yeah, I posted the GIF, the posted the GIF to... On uh, uh, maybe on, that's on Twitter, what I saw. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it is. That's fascinating. Mm-hmm. So um, it's really clever because it actually games... never renders stuff that are not visible. It never does. Yeah, that's right. That's it, where all it, the optimizations. It, it pre-renders right? everything except for sprites. It actually renders all the sprites back to front, all of them, even if you can't see them. Um, mm. It just doesn't draw them, but it renders all of them for some reason. And uh, mm. yeah, uh, if you, in fact, ugh, I shouldn't probably even say this here, but like the optimizations are pretty insane. Do you even know? Do you know about the uh, uh, CPU cache? Uh, in relation to this game, I know of CPU cache. Right. Well, what happens is when you read a value of from the memory, next several bytes are automatically added in your CPU cache, no matter what mm-hmm. you read. It just dumps. It just okay. dumps it there. And then if you access that data instead of going to RAM, it will go to CPU cache and it's faster. So, oh, it's faster, so the yeah. reason uh, it it stores those vertical strips as horizontal the textures of doom it it does it in consecutive uh horizontal you know structures um is because that makes texture drawing faster because you would need to render all of that stripe you know so oh interesting by, by, so karma kind right. of he just, intelligently streams right. the data yep, in that order pretty much uh, all of those Neat. things are stored horizontally for optimization purposes Carmack is really smart I mean apparently it's yeah. a very common technique I didn't even know it existed until like I read a book about it and I was like wow that's pretty clever so you either get you know if you get 
hit, it just pulls it from the from the from the cache. If you get a miss, it just repopulates it with whatever. I just didn't know it's like a standard function. You read something from memory, the next like few bytes are right in the fucking cache ready for you. Which is fun, hmm. which is smart. So it's like predictive. Yeah, it's smart because if you do read consecutive chunks of data, that makes it faster. Makes sense. Yeah, it may as well be yeah. in cache. But it's it's weird. Who thought of that? But you know, it's there. No kidding. I wonder how much cash that was. I guess three eighty six machines at the time. Two eighty six even. Three eighty six. Doom wouldn't run on a two eighty six. I mean, uh, right. even Wolf three D struggled. You can run Wolf three D pretty fine, but you had to like make the screen smaller and the frame rate would chug a little bit. But it it was possible. But Doom, you wouldn't want to run on a two eighty six. I'm sure you couldn't like oh, the sure. minimal things. Could you? Did it need protected mode? Well, two eighty six had protected mode. Uh, I'm I fucking losing remember. everything now. Uh, but uh, I'm getting so old. Uh, you know, I got my PS two uh, machine. Not PlayStation 2, uh, the, the IBM PS2. And I forgot that it has an MCGA card. I knew that, but what completely escaped, with something that I used to know, MCGA is not EGA mode compatible. So I can, I can right. play either CGA games um, or I can play VGA, VGA games or MCGA games or EGE games like some EGA games actually detect MCGA and then they switch to VGA and just switch the palette to... EGA oh. colors, so I can do what that. But some games, I mean, granted, very few don't do that, and those are the games I cannot play on my um, PS2 machine. But that's okay. That's a real surprise. Yeah, I, I always wondered what the difference was between MCGA. Now and you VGA, know. So that's a really interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Because VGA could do the EGA yeah. stuff, no problem. EGA was backwards compatible. MCGA would just essentially cut down VGA, but it's on board. You know, and it's only it's never a separate card. It's on board, built into the IBM machines, and uh, it also doesn't do high res VGA. You know, VGA also has a, a 640 by 400 mode. That's 16 colors. Uh, that's right. rarely used, but no page flipping. You know, you just have to draw directly to buffer. Very few games ever use it. I think Populous Two is one, and. Um, is it, is is syndicate syndicate might actually use that mode uh because you know syndicate switched to high res mode uh once you got out of the menus oh and I I, and that's why it's so gray because it's only sixteen colors well, it's sixteen ah, colors if you're choosing oh, you know um so I think that one and I think Duke Nukem two is also one of those games oh no 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 it doesn't but it just uses three twenty by two hundred sixteen color mode for some reason uh uh, I'm confused, but but yeah, not very many games used it. Was wasn't very efficient, but uh, yeah, MCG cannot do that either. But it can do 320 by 200, um, 256 colors. We should be surprised. Some games really run. VJ games run really well. Like Prince of Persia, runs fine. 8086. You just have to time time your jumps a bit more precise. That's where it's a bit. And you know, once you run across the thing of like dropping platforms, like if there's like more than two of them. Oh, it, it chugs. chugs, but it's very playable. I think I had a two eighty six. Civilization, then, actually, no problem. You know, yeah, great. Works oh, yeah, just yeah. fine. Sure, <laughs> it's fun. It's also yeah. fun to actually have a real power switch. You know, it has one of those chunky power switches, like the actual flip switch. Oh yes. that's what I love about that oh. case. I, that's actually yes. the reason I got it is because that's the first machine I remember spending a decent time on. Uh, 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 like I, I, I worked on the AT, right? And but uh, that's the the, the PS2 model thirty is what I remember playing some of the first games on, like arcade volleyball and shit like that. And uh, 
Mm-hmm. I, that design on that case I really like, and I fucking really love that. That switch is loud. It's like, yeah. <laughs> Very satisfying. Does it have, um, do you have a sound card no. in it? Or does it have a volume knob on no. it? Uh, so it's actually it's very quiet. Loud I'm or surprised. Yeah, oh, really? it's like very quiet. I'm very surprised by it. Because it's an office machine. Uh, yeah, but uh, uh, it also has. It only supports um, uh, high density, um, three three and a quarter inch floppies, not double density. So I'm limited to 780, uh, and it doesn't care if it's right protected or not. It doesn't care if there's a hole or not, uh, which is pretty funny. Uh, and it has the the RAM count, hmm. the, the count to 640. <laughs> it takes forever. Oh, yeah, it that. takes forever, though. Can you skip it? No. Well, I don't know if I can disable it. Does it? Do, it doesn't have button? a bias, you know. Um, and it oh. also has PC DOS 3.1, the IBM PC DOS. Um, okay. Right. Uh, right. Which is which is really cool. Uh, uh, like I, I, I'm loving it. Uh, I, I love to fuck around with it, see what it works. I mean, obviously, not much can run on it, but it's nice to have it, and it has a nice chunky, you know, 20 meg hard drive. Um, Oh, that's that's ridiculous, fantastic. right? It's kind of rare. It isn't is, it? yeah. Like I was also very surprised. Very nice. Like twenty megs, holy fuck! And I uh, I have the only CRT monitor in my house connected to it, so I got the got the full uh, yeah whole the whole experience. experience. Really nice. Oh, fantastic! <laughs> cool toy. All right, I have I have three more games. As a matter right. of fact, that I wanted to mention here. Um, let's see. The oldest one that I want to mention is one called Spectre. Um, this was a game, I couldn't remember whether it was originally from Mac. I know that it was available on Mac. Um, it was clearly a Battlezone-inspired uh, game, and I don't know if I'm confusing the original Spectre with its sequel called Spectre VR, which has an amazing box, by the way, um, but I believe it might have had multiplayer. So if you can imagine, basically, faster-paced Battlezone, first-person, uh, like, polygon polygon uh, tanks fighting each other in a very weird, surreal kind of a, uh, like, day-glow neon-colored oh, yeah. environment. Look at the screenshot. I don't know this game. This... Huh. I... It might be because it was a Mac game originally, and maybe... Actually, maybe it was oh, like you know what? That I played. It looks like it's Mac and S- DOS and SNES. Wow. Oh, was it a SNES one, too? Yeah. Interesting. Developed by Velocity. It's, oh no, uh, Peninsula Game Works, published by Velocity. Peninsula sounds uh-huh. right. So it's not the most fun game, but it was just very surreal and strange. It was popular with people who didn't really like games necessarily, hmm. just because it was also kind of a lawnmower man sort of an aesthetic. Um, yeah, look, there's like an eye on a on a on a spinning pyramid. Like a pyramid or something. Yeah, the screenshot. Yeah, yeah. So there were some um, uh, it, there were some sprites. And there were some uh, 3D models. And I think the ground was just like a, a plane with dots or something where you drive and the dots kind of whiz by you, but it didn't really render the ground. So it was, uh, it was a great game for people with low-end systems. And if I'm remembering correctly that this one had multiplayer, please correct me, folks, if I'm wrong. Sounds um, like that. This was one like where that. you could have like head-to-head deathmatch with, I think, just one other person. Mm-hmm. Up to eight uh, players over IPX. Wow. And net bias. Yeah, wow. That is really something. I guess it would have been a simple game, because I think when you're playing multiplayer, there may not have been other enemies or objects in the world, or just static objects, perhaps. That's cool. I didn't know this existed. See, folks, I don't know every single... Like, people like ask me sometimes, like, I, like, I know every single DOS game I ever made. Like, it's, 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 it's not... No, I, I haven't played every single DOS game. I wish I had. And I'm usually pretty good with ah, commercial releases. Like, I, I especially... 
don't know. There's tons of like shareware in the 90s, like tons and tons and tons that people are so familiar with that I haven't even seen because, you know, we had pirated games. So why pirate shareware when you can pirate real commercial stuff? So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, that's a bit out of my thing. But yeah, I've never seen this game. This is, looks sure. really cool. I got to check it out. It's really beautiful. Well, one thing that you don't get when you pirate the game is to see the box. So if you, uh, I challenge you to search for Spectre You're, VR I'm, box. I'm looking at it right now. It's, it's, it reminds me of uh, the Gabriel Knight box a little, or was it Prince of Persia? I think also, also had the, a really weird yeah, shape box. Yeah, the two connecting, um, whatchamacallits. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, yeah, this actually did have, like, I think the gray part and the black part uh, disconnected from each other. I don't remember. I only knew one person who was a Mac user who who owned the box, and I I owned the the owned the no box version. You might say. Uh, I actually think I saw somebody. Now that I think about it, I actually think somebody showed this box in in one of the videos. Maybe it was LGR. Yeah, it he was did cool. one a little while ago about weird weird boxes, boxes didn't, didn't he? he? And I think he should because the the center came out. All right, now that I'm looking at it, I mm. ah, there you go. I should have known that game so existed. Yeah, I, I think it's one of the videos, like uh, like weird box um, videos by... Yeah, he did one on art and he did one on the boxes mm-hmm. themselves. I think he did a couple of art yeah. on art at this point. Yeah, he's done a second art mm-hmm. one now too. Pretty cool people. So it's it it's worth this game is worth uh, checking out just to see it in motion. I'll put a video of it in the show notes. These show notes are like epically long, but what the heck. The, all these games are worth thinking about. Yeah, it's pretty educational, you know. Like This, this is an educational mm-hmm. podcast, I feel. So I yes. love coming here. You know, I get to talk about, even though I, I talked about DOS stuff, so I, 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 this is like not of my territory. But the last one, the, the wind, I never talk about Windows games, so it was nice to, to like bore you all to tears with my three-hour-long talk of Micromedia Flash. And especially after the fact, I remember, I think, about as many more. <laughs> right, uh, director. Yeah, director, whatever the fuck. See, I, those were very rare games, though. It was great to hear yeah. about those. I hadn't heard of, I think, at least yeah, half of those. Yeah, trust me, there's more that I remembered. <laughs> oh, awesome. <laughs> uh, all right. So, what else do I have here? I think I have one... Oh, I have two more I mm-hmm. want to mention. Uh, both from 1992. No, one's from 92, one's from 93. And this is getting late already, but um, the one from 1992 is Virtua Racing by Sega. And this was an arcade game. Um, I played this first... I think the first time I played this was at my grandfather's arcade in Winnipeg, the Pirate's Den. Um, this was a big sit-down arcade cabinet nice. with a steering wheel and pedals. And um, it had four really colorful, like four different colored buttons that had lights behind them. And it corresponded to the four different views you can get. I think one was on the nose of your car. One was in the cockpit. And you had these like really cheesy 3D rendered hands that were on the, the steering wheel that would uh-huh. turn. That's what that's what I think might have amazed me more than anything else was watching the hands on the steering wheel turning when you turn. Um, and one was a close chase camera and the other was a far chase camera. Wow. It was pretty easy to switch between them. Um, and it had these really smooth transitions when you would go from one camera to another, which looked really awesome too. It really looked kind of like a virtual reality kind of game. And I guess that's why they call it Virtua Racing. <laughs> so this is another untextured uh, 3D polygon kind of a game very fast moving very smooth yeah it's really rate. fast like I, I, I'm, I'm familiar uh, especially mm-hmm. with the ports but again never seen the actual arcade with my own eyes so well even if you can just see a YouTube video of the arcade version the ports looked really good but they had more dithering as I recall and the frame rates just couldn't keep up 
Um, it was gorgeous in the arcade. Very, very nice and smooth. Um, Sega is just a quality company when it comes to mm -hmm. arcade games. Especially the 3D ones, ones like 90s 3D. Like, I love their stuff. Like, uh, not even mm -hmm. Virtual Fighter or Virtual Racer, but like uh, Virtual Cop, I like especially. Um, yeah, oh, me too. I, there's a great Windows port of Virtual Especially Cop the second one. Like, second over second and over. was great. I think yeah, it was the second, second one. First one is a bit too perhaps. simple. Uh, uh, mm. like not variety, but second one has like car chases. You just like, like uh, yes. shoot the car in the trunk. Like the the hood pops off. It's uh, oh yeah, you shoot yeah. The tire it's like it's like yeah. Or like even the original House of the Dead, which I can finish with my eyes closed now. It's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Sega. What, those games, if you play them with a computer mouse, there's yeah. But easy. I also they're not designed yeah, to be but played I, like that. But there's so much I fun can do, anyway. I can do that in the arcade too. The first cards that I'm really good at, which I'm going to. Uh, uh, at the end of the week, I'm going to a retro Long Island Retro Game and Expo. Uh, oh, fantastic! Um, uh, I'm going to be wearing a Commander Keen shirt. Uh, nobody's going to know nice. who that is, but uh, I'm just hoping to maybe play some games and bump into some people and, and maybe buy some stuff. But uh, I, I'm going to be looking forward to uh, see what I can play. I think that there is going to be like a virtual cop thing and the whole light gun sort of section. So, oh, uh, terrific! That's cool. I love oh, yeah. these games. It's cool. I don't get to, you know, I'm all about, I, I, if I play something, it's about DOS, so it's nice to sort of break out a little bit and um, do something on other platforms. Well, it'll be especially rewarding if all you've played is the port of something, because when you can see it on the original hardware, which is like dedicated multiple mm -hmm. CPUs, one for sound and one for graphics and one for input or something like that, it's really mm -hmm. something. Because the original arcade versions are so bright and colorful and beautiful. They're quite special. Especially, especially if they have a uh, custom uh, cockpit or, uh, or uh, yeah, that's cool. It's it's really nice. Um, so do when you go to this thing, I'm so jealous that you get to go to that. Go, uh, see if they have virtual racing. You'll know it when you see. I it. doubt there's going to be any like big. Somebody's going to drag like a huge arcade cab, uh, sit Maybe down not. cab, yeah, into a hotel fucking room. Well, not room, but you know, <laughs> it's the right. first local one here, so I don't yeah. even know how big it's going to be, but we'll see. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay, well, that's that's super cool either way. I'm very jealous. Um, the last game that I guess I'll talk about then is from 1993, and that's Star Fox for the Super ah. Nintendo. So I mentioned this one because I think it's the first 3D rendered game on the Super Nintendo. We can system. actually look at that one up, because I remember when we were, we were talking before the show, uh, mm. uh, I, I, made, I made a comment about who made the the chip, and now I'm like, it's it's bothering me. I'm pretty sure, so the chip was the Super FX yes. chip. I'm pretty sure that Star Fox was the first game that had that, and as a matter of fact, Doom for the N64 had this chip. Also, well. uh, you might not know this, but I know this, because uh, I, I've been playing the game recently on my Retron 5, and uh, when, hmm. was quite amazed by some of the effects. Uh, Yoshi's Island also does, and you would never think it hmm. does, but... Uh, is that the one where you take pictures? No, that's Yoshi's no. Safari. Yoshi's Island is just the one when you your baby Mario riding on Yoshi. Oh, it that uses really? that, you that know touch touch fuzzy get dizzy. That's that's how they do that mm. effect and many rotation. Oh. It just uses it's a two D game, but it uses it for rotation and scaling. Oh, so that's actually. Uh, uh, the Super Nintendo itself has uh, something called it Mode does, 7, yes, which but, is specifically but, for but, rotation but it's, scaling. It's for like rotation scaling on the surface. You know, like uh, 
it's it's somewhat limited. I guess the way they do things in Yoshi's Island, which is the first. I, I again, I'm not a console guy, so I only started for the first time I ever touched Yoshi's Island was very recently, and it was it's a great game. I love it. Uh, but the amount of like rotating sprites and scaling and like recoloring and stuff, it's uh, uh, like the first boss is just this gigantic round blob and it scales and looks perfect. It's not pixely, and it's like uh, you. You know, you jump on it, and uh, or you, like you shoot, exit it, and like its pants fall off, and it like gets, uh, it's oh, like yeah. a, it, it gets like red cheeks, you know, it blushes, and it's like sort of starts like instantly shrinks and starts flying away like a balloon that's losing the air. Like it's really funny. So oh, all wow. of that. I looked it up. You're absolutely right. It is a super. It's a yeah. It is a super mm-hmm. effect game. I, I knew that Amazing. because I I looked it up like before because I was like, wow, that's quite a lot of effects for. <laughs> Well, correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't that the game with fucking baby Mario crying? Yes, all when the you time? when no, it's not. Uh, yes, it's uh, when you when when you that's lose why them. I haven't when you lose them, yeah, it's it's annoying, but, but, but just don't sound. bump into stuff. You know, you're supposed <laughs> to play it. It's pretty challenging, um, mm-hmm. but yeah. Uh, so I guess I'm looking at it now, and yes, it's uh, Argonaut Games that um, that developed it, uh, and it's mm. it's a British company. It's one of those like people who. Uh, I, I said when we were talking before the show, I said it's something relating to Rare, but I, I guess it's not, even though I could have sworn it is. I don't have the time to, 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 to read it now, but uh, I could have, it has something to do with those British kids who, who, who made games in the 80s. Uh, and it's actually mentioned in the extended interview in, from bedrooms to, to billions. Uh, mm. So um, they were very young when they developed that. So it's, it's really cool. It's very powerful. And yeah, there's only a few games uh, but yeah Star Fox is is definitely one of them and the, probably the most famous that's a one cool yeah. game Pro- yeah I would say so that's it's a great game it's a really really cool game I think the engine ran oh I looked this up uh, it ran at about 20 frames per second and that was like the best case scenario mm-hmm. which is pretty it looked pretty mm-hmm. choppy yes, even back it, then yes um, there was a lot of slowdown too, I guess, just because of the way they built the levels or the number of objects they had on screen, which was quite a few in a lot of places. I remember the final boss is this like 3D rendered spooky face, and it can barf out like millions of these little polygon triangles at you, <laughs> and it was so impressive. You have to kind of fly around and mm-hmm. dodge them with your ship. That was very, very impressive. And I also loved how some levels you could choose between first or third person, so I would always play those in first person. It was kind of like playing mm-hmm. a rail shooter, kind of like the. Uh, Star Wars arcade game or something. Uh, really, really good game. But this Super FX chip wasn't in a lot of games because it was like a little risk chip that added 3D rendering. Uh, and it had to be built into every mm-hmm. cartridge uh, that supported it. It wasn't in the system. Uh, so it increased the price of the cartridge by like 10 or $20, which is, it, you better have a really good game if yeah. people are going to pay that much more. I play, The only other play, game I played was uh, with that uh, chip was called Stunt Race FX, which I think I just rented, and it ran at like 10 frames a second or so, and it had like physics. I've and, seen some uh, game that's, buggies. yeah, had like a sort of like a monster trucks kind of thing. Is that the game that I'm thinking of? Yeah, I think it had three different vehicles uh, or something. I don't really remember. It had like an I've F1 seen that car, long a monster time truck, ago. and like a dune buggy or something. It was a cool game, and it was attractive, but the frame rate was so slow that I, it, that really ruined yeah. it for me. Um, and the one thing that surprised me, according to Wikipedia, I don't know what the difference is. They they made a chip later called the Super. That's FX2 the one that's in chip. Doom and Super Mario World. It's a, it's okay. a like a different model. Okay, 
The one unreleased game that was going to use that chip was FX Fighter, mm-hmm. which was a great fighting game that was 3D rendered for DOS. Uh, yeah. DOS. I mean, you say I a great fighting game. game, but it doesn't really hold up anymore. And well, it's ugly yeah. as, it it ugly sure as fuck by today's standards. But, by uh, but today's I, standards, I, I honestly sure. think like then, Virtual like the, Fighter 2... It was like Virtual Fighter v- for v- DOS. Virtual Fighter 2 looks pretty good compared to... Uh, FX Fighter. I like Virtual Fighter 1 because it had the same sort of an engine. It looks kind of similar in its complexity to uh, Virtual Racer. Virtual Fighter just was very charming. I think it also had untextured polygons great, so the people look very it's, exaggerated. It's a great and silly. fighting game. Like, uh, uh, it's, uh, At its heart, yeah. it is. Yes. It, it's great because you can combine things. That's what the 3D brought to it. Like, you can be half mm-hmm. in the air and then. You know, some and the juggling and the yeah, chaining and animations then, and, then, and interrupting yeah, one animation. That's, right. that's what another. it did. Like that's one thing it had on, on uh, you know, two D fighters that you could do Street that. You could look like, mid change animations. Very cool. Yeah, like a game of neat. skill, really too. Like I'm bad at fighting mm-hmm. games, and especially bad of like skill fighting games, like Street Fighter too. Like I suck at it. I, I'm terrible. I don't know how to play it properly. I I, I only really play Mortal Kombat, but uh, uh, Virtual Fighter. Pretty good. Put me like in Virtual Fighter. I'm I'm okay. I'm very comfortable. Much more so than say like Tekken or something like that. Oh, I'm pretty lousy at that. Tekken was very yeah. fast paced. I found, but Virtual Fighter I was never good at. I'm all right. I, I mean, Virtual Fighter is very beatable, like in single player, and uh, uh, even by me, who is not very good at it. And uh, hmm. uh, you know, in the multiplayer, of course, it's a lot of fun. What version did you play? Uh, Windows one. Ah, uh, okay. I've only played it in the arcade. Maybe it's a joystick and arcade button kind of a thing that got in my way. I'm not sure. Did you play with a gamepad keyboard. or keyboard? I played most of the things with keyboard I'm, my whole life. I'm really good at fighting games. I still play like yeah, I still play Mortal Kombat, but but keyboard. Me too. It's because the it's more, so much more they, convenient. It's Easy, so, it's easier to yeah, put, so put, pull off combos because you're pressing the fucking buttons. Yeah, down forward yep. punch is like the quarter circle. Yeah. It's well, or like something where they do like a. Mortal Kombat three like a Sub Zero combo, where it's like it's like high yeah. punch, high punch, low punch, low kick, uh, high kick, and then like the roundhouse kick. <laughs> oh, that was the that was the most complex and the last fighting game I ever like studied and read about. I like that one just because of the combos. Yeah, I know that that's before combos became like it came into every yeah. game. It's just a shame that they couldn't they didn't one. figure out that some characters could like juggle things easily before so it made certain characters really fucking like Cabal uh that you know that fucker like Oh, is that the nightstick uh, guy? Uh, no, that's uh, that's a mask no, guy. Max Max M- Mask and Hooks. He has that Oh yeah, who is Cabal? That's that's Cabal. Uh who you're oh, thinking okay. of as striker. He has ah, a yeah, gun. Right. He's a fucker Cabal? who brought the gun to Mortal Kombat. <laughs> I know. A, I was a cop, no less. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. There we go. American cop. Guns everywhere. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> All right. We oh, now get really into like moral combat and stuff, but. Okay, this is really derailed. I actually realized that we skipped an important thing here, which might be a good way to sign off on the podcast. I forgot to ask what you've been playing lately, uh, and I know that you've been playing most of these uh, lately. It's that, but I haven't. I didn't really have much time to play lately. The only two things I I, I thank you very much for gifting me her story, but. Uh, I have not yet finished it. Like I started playing, I played half hour with, with like glare off, and and I realized mm-hmm. that I probably should have left it on after people told me to. And uh, not that uh, yeah, important. but still, I would like it's like a nice. full experience maybe, uh, even though it's annoying to me because it's nothing like a CR. Mm-hmm. I, I hate those CRT filters because 
I know what the CRT looks like, and it doesn't look like that. Sorry. I know people are really trying. And I I hope one day we'll have a shader that blends colors like a CRT used to. But it's no fucking reason to put shitty lines and warps on screen. Like, it's not what it looks like. Uh, Especially depending on the size of a monitor I'm looking at. And, you know. Uh, oh sure, it's not it, it's not that aspect of it that makes yeah. that adds something it's, to the it's, game. It's the it's color like, blending that used to be important, you know, something that people now I guess forget about. It's like oh, like all this, all this dithering and stuff. And old monitors very often depends on again depending on the monitor, but and the connection, you know, the dithering works differently, especially with consoles how they output things and on the monitors. Yeah, it's fuzzier and it kind yeah. of blends a little uh, on more the, on, so the, on, the, so on the PC speckly. less so, but still very often they counted yeah. on the on the blending working on the CRT yeah. more for the TV or for the Commodore 64 yeah. monitor yeah like so that, yeah. but yeah it's not how those things look so I usually turn those things off but I guess in her story I will the only thing I really finished recently last last week I played through uh, the Pandora Directive entirety for the first time in a long time oh how uh, it went great uh, I was playing actually with a walkthrough by my head not for puzzles but for dialogue choices because that's one of those mm. I wanted to capture the good ending and it's impossible mm. to get to honestly because even though you know it has like eight branch impasse, uh, the Pandora directive. So, um, but wow. you, uh, you know, it's that problem in Tex Murphy where you do want to select the appropriate answer and you know what the good reaction would be, but the hints that they are given out of three options are like uh, charmingly smug and what you don't know what he's gonna say. It was like that in Under a Killing yeah, Moon as well. Yeah, it's like that, all. but in Under a Killing Moon, it, it didn't matter, you know? But now that you want, that you can potentially branch in story in eight different pieces, uh, yeah. Uh, so I, I kept the walkthrough to get the good ending, and I will say Pandora Directive is still great and amazing, even though I do like Under a Killing Moon more. Uh, Pandora Directive is more polished, more honest, better tech, uh, and everything better directed. Those FMV sequences are great. Uh, you know they mm. don't look amateurish anymore. They have a real director doing them. The lightning is great. There's more than one, there's one mm. more than one person moving at the time. There's people moving in the background. You know it, it, it's amazing. But the last fucking chapter is bullshit. Like the last chapter is day four of of uh, what's the last one? The Tesla effect. Uh, it's 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 four mazes and about thirty puzzles. And uh, uh. it's all it is. And thankfully, uh, just I was playing in the in the player mode, which in a harder puzzle mode. Don't do that. Switch to entertainment mode. Look up hints for you will have to navigate the mazes still, but uh, it will give you each time you look at the you look at the puzzle and you go into the hint section. It will the last hint will be punch up, and it will be a randomized number to skip the puzzle. Uh, so you will go back, you'll look at the hint, you go back to the puzzle, punch out 5897, and we'll skip the puzzle. And just do that for the whole last chapter. Because I have no patience bullshit. for this. And I was like, that game is almost fucking perfect. And it has all the trappings of the Tex Murphy game. Yes, every five minutes you stumble into like a shredded fax and whatever the fuck. I can deal with that. But when there's a whole mm. chapter literally filled with like 30 logic puzzles from the book and like four mazes, no thank you. No kidding. That's like the the Jane Jensen ending. She loves yeah, doing that. Yeah, I guess. But this it's worse. worse. It's like you know the the midsection of the Tesla effect, the one that let everyone down. That's what it was. Oh, I know. Yeah, but that's well. what it was only at the very end of the game, and I forgot that's how it was. And I got to it, and I was like, I literally stuck on a, on the sliding type tile puzzle that I couldn't solve. And, yeah. Ah, that's where I gave up in Tesla. Yeah, uh, there, there was. 
it, it, I could have solved it. At this I just point, didn't want there to. was already three time sliding puzzles before that, uh, which are oh, which are okay, on. but that that's such but that was design. one where you could only move only one piece was already pre moved and was from one to fifteen and and in the, in lines of two, you know, it was two vertical rows and everything else was down, and you mm-hmm. had to decipher the code before, which was easy. So you had uh, and you had to put them in a certain order. I just right. my brain just shut off, and I was just like, yeah. "I'm fuck it, I'm switching to entertainment mode, and I'm just skipping the rest of it." Which is made the last chapter about, with the exception of the mazes, about five minutes short. But, but it's oh, okay. Right. But I got the good ending because uh, I played with the walkthrough uh, for the for the first time ever, and uh, I know what the good ending looks like. Oh, that's good. Uh, Hopefully, somebody has a YouTube video of like Pandora Directive the movie where they just. It's great though. I, I love those stuff. games. It's definitely, and although I do prefer the cheesier tone of Under a Killing Moon, just personally, uh, I like that sort of mm-hmm. all over the place kind of thing. The, the Pandora Directive being more serious and, and more polished and everything is a superior game, clearly. And the fact that it's one of those games that I think does adventure game branching really well. Uh, like uh, Blue Cup Tools podcast had the episode on the branch adventures, and neither Francisco nor mm-hmm. Ben played the Pandora Directive, and I think that kind of would have been to their benefit if if they did and discussed it, because that's I think the game that does that right. Hmm. I don't think I've ever heard the two of them talk about Tex Murphy games. Yeah, well, ma- the, neither of them played them. I mean, uh, Francisco has discussed Under a Killing Moon, I think, <laughs> ironically, on a on a podcast about the Branching Pass. But that one, that game does not have okay. br- Branching Pass. I don't think. I don't think it does. Uh, it's very linear. Uh, yeah, uh, and the Pandora Directive does so, uh, and it's done very well, mostly just through dialogue, not the entire sort of game. Uh, like, mm. and it's, it ranges all the way from like. Tex and Chelsea getting together and she does like a weird strip thing where there's like a weird Christmas thing that she's wearing. All, all down to <laughs> Tex Murphy has no friends. Well, all down to like not dying. You can also die. But uh, all down to like Tex Murphy is an alcoholic and has no friends and everybody hates him, which is like weird. Very non-Tex Murphy, but you know. you Isn't that how the next you one can starts do that. though? No. Uh, next one, uh, the one after... After that was a remake of the first game, um, Overseer. Oh, it was like was... a Chelsea, Chelsea talking yeah. in the cafe. That's when it had Michael York in it, and it blows. It's a bad game. It's not a very good. Okay, I own it, and I think I couldn't get it working on emulation. You can now. If you, well, if you buy the version from mm-hmm. GOG, they now finally figured out how to use the... For years, because I also own it, and DVD version is impossible to run, was impossible to run, because it relies on so... You know, it's a 1998 DVD game, so yeah, issues. Mm-hmm. But yeah, now, yeah, now they sort of figured out what to bundle with it to make it play through software. And somebody was nice enough; they had to wait for. It. That's one thing about Gog. As soon as somebody on the forums figured out how to recode the DVD cutscenes to play with the CD version, they, they then included that in a package. Yeah, right, right. So, yeah, now that you now that you mentioned the Gog version, I have I own the game on. Uh, on CDs, not on DVDs. Well, but on the last CDs, like seven the of last, them. But then I bought it the on last GOG. CD is a DVD. It's standard. It's not the version. Oh, last what? disc really? is a is a DVD version. I yeah. have no idea. If you look at it, the last disc is the DVD. That would have saved me a lot of friggin' bother. But you wouldn't be able to run it. It actually it it oh. used early DVD drives for PCs had hardware and like two decoding, not software. Oh, so that that's does right. that. It relies on that. So. 
before that you were in like if you had like Windows XP, okay. you, you could install an old ass MPEG2 player that would swap the functions that would like capture them and reroute them and use its own. It's actually kind of what the GOG version does, but it's all bundled together nice pre-installed and somebody recoded the cutscenes. So so now you get to see full quality cutscenes. Not because what bothers me the most, it's fucking interlaced in the CD version. I, I, nothing else I hate more than interlaced FMV. I know. I'd rather see the, the, yeah, pic- the, the tall, yeah, fat pixels. Pixel. Okay, give me the pixels. Don't give me lines on screen, please. So, but yeah. Now we're like into text morphing and everything. <laughs> it's like been talking okay. for three hours. I was like, surely we could knock this one out pretty short. <laughs> never, never. We say that beginning of every episode. Uh, I... Okay, well, I'm very quickly then going to say the three games that I played, and then uh, we'll we'll call mm-hmm. this one quits. All right, I'll, super quickly. I played Double Dragon mm-hmm. Neon, which is a modern kind of. I guess it's kind of a remake of the original Double Dragon arcade games, beat 'em up sort of a game. It's pretty good. I got it for two bucks. It was definitely worth that. But what was certainly worth it was the soundtrack, which is this like amazing kind of '80s synth and occasionally uh, vocal nice. soundtrack. It's fantastic, and it's bundled. I think in like AUG format or in MP3, MP3 format. I think I actually used a tool to extract cool. the. The, the mm-hmm. soundtrack, but it's amazing. I loved it. Um, next up is Trackmania Stadium, mm. which is by a French company called Nadio. This is a really, really cool racing game, very Hot Wheels-like, where um, it has an incredible community of map mm-hmm. makers, and so it's a like a multiplayer game where you um, join up and play with uh, random people, and you race against you race against their time. You can't actually collide with other cars, um, and these cars have like flipping upside down and going over crazy jumps and like bouncing all over the place and there's usually just one perfect one perfect uh line that you're supposed to follow that gets you all the way through the track and over time people have gotten much much better at making these incredibly humongous really harrowing uh exciting tracks so uh it, there there's a free one called Trackmania Nations this is basically exactly the same game Trackmania Stadium except they improve the graphics hmm. and all it still uses the same maps as Trackmania Nations, but if you want to try a free one, Trackmania Nations is so much fun. I like free stuff. Um, I, yeah, who doesn't? So the last one I'll mention, which I think you you will have very fond memories of, is Max Payne. Oh, 2, oh God, you've re- you've replayed that? That's great. Yeah, I've actually been craving. I've, I've, I've been watching Max Payne two videos for three days now. I f- I think really? I'm 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 overdue. On on the replay, and I was watching the video with this guy called uh, GG Man Lives. Uh, he he reviews okay. shooters, very cool, uh, okay. regular videos of all kinds of you know from new to old to whatever. He's really good, um, and he actually did point out something very interesting about Max Payne Two, which something to which he says to him brings that game down a little bit. Um, the dynamic between Max Payne One and Two in Bullet Time is different. It is yes. very different in the first game. It's precision shooting as time slows down. In the second game, you keep moving at your regular speed while everybody else is slowing down. Well, you can aim... You can move. Uh, See, in the first game and the third game, you only aim... Yeah, it slows you down. down. But in the second game, and everything slows down, the more people you chain kill. So by the right. end of it, when you like everything goes gray, well sepia, and like you like reload yeah, like yeah, you move in before, as he points it out, you kill everybody in the room before the shell cases hit the floor. Yeah, that's <laughs> but right. But to me, it makes it great. I mean, the shooting in Max Payne Two is so fucking satisfying. 
like it's perfect. so good it's, it's it becomes perfect. like a real game of skill and uh seeing how many people you can take down uh yeah because of that bullet time mechanic you can be very yes, aggressive you, you, you have to, you have to you, unlike the fir- the the first game where you mostly just sh- jump you know shoot dodge and then just like mm-hmm. into the room and like control room see of so five people and took him out with like because you also couldn't keep shooting you had to reload uh in Max yes. Payne 2, it will let you shoot, and at the maximum amount of bullet time, it will reload without stopping. That's why it plays that stupid animation of them flip, flipping the guns. I think it's a bit annoying just because oh, it flips the camera around oh, cool. to me. That oh, it breaks it a cool. little bit. But I love, as, as stupid as the setup for the story in Max Payne 2 is, I love the story. I, I always get teary-eyed at the end. Uh, uh, not to spoil it for anyone who hasn't played it, but like uh, I, I do, I, I really do, and I love watching the fucking like the new expanded address unknown and lords and ladies. Uh, yes. It's so good, and that They're song, I, I still to this day listen to that song in my car and like sing out loud to fucking late, late, late goodbye, late goodbye. Late late goodbye. goodbye. Uh, I have, yeah. Oh, I listen to that soundtrack all the time. I forget who the name of the composer is. Finish, and it's weird because like it's a different Finnish guy for the second game, and it's it's such yeah. a great choice to put that like sort of deep melody of the first game onto cellos and stuff. Like like it's yes. game is so far, but the writing is so good in Max Payne. Like in like it's cheesy, it's really cheesy, but yet at the same time it's like weirdly noir. Like I was determined to give Vlad his gun back. One bullet at a yeah. time. <laughs> a bullet in her head came to the to came to the end of her journey. Whatever the fuck. It's like oh, so yep. good. Max, it is good. like so we need I... to stop meeting like this. Like it's so good, and it like does enough. It's such a movie does lines, enough fan yeah. service for the first game. Yet I think it improves on everything. Like it's more compact. It doesn't go all over the place with drugs and whatever. Like uh, the story elements that uh, miss. You know, they swapped out uh, the mystery for the love story, and the address unknown theme park level is great. I was about to say that's where I left off. I almost don't want to play it because yeah. I love it so much. I don't the want John to. The John Mirror. Over. That's one of the best levels of yeah. any game. And it's ever, the honestly. shooting mechanics is 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 so great. Like even the sniper level that's annoying, uh, still feels pretty I good. Like it's just it's just annoying because it's so I so much don't. of it. It, it, it drags yeah. on, but that's good because you get to run between the buildings and shoot people with a sniper rifle in inside. Uh, that's right, and sniper rifle with yep, bullet time is yep, very It does like the tracking bullet thing, and of course, it's the first game, like it's pre Half Life Two game, the physics engine, so shit just drops. You can juggle people in yep. the air with like automatic rifles mm-hmm. and bullet time. You literally can just like pin them against the walls, uh, mm-hmm. and just it's great. Uh, it's the first game that I remember being being really sort of like. Uh, surprised by the amount of swearing in it, because uh, it, it, yeah, it's the so. first one didn't have any swearing in it. Like ass is like the most that they like pain in Max Payne, pain in the ass. And the second game like opens like Vidigniti is like die pain die why don't you fucking die and you're like which is weird also because it's all different people voicing them uh, except except for <laughs> yeah, mine is, they do it? perfect impressions like Vidigniti and everybody else like s- s- sounds the same. Uh, it's good and it's also this too, time not. Employees do posing for models and uh, and things like right. in the in in the first game like Mona Sachs was supposed to be this like uh, uh, hitman who looked like a secretary like this one like 
you she looks like a person named Ramona Sachs would look. <laughs> That's right. Although now that I'm watching um the Lords and Ladies, things it's them. And, it's uh, them. It's like it's 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 yeah, it's, it's Sam Lake. Yes, Sam Lake. No he's like him. well, the Lords, my lady, I drink to you. Uh, oh God, <laughs> so good. But I I do recommend oh, both hilarious. Max Payne games wholeheartedly. First one is more challenging. Um, I feel first one is harder. Yeah, way more. And more. second game, uh, I feel, is more satisfying is and more tight. Also, it's very short, though. Like, second game, four hours, you'll be mm-hmm. done. Like, it's That's very right. short. I gotta say, though, the third game is I very think good. it blows. I hated it the first time I played it, and I've, then it kept calling I've, to me. I, I played think it again, the story it destroys the character by, not just by doing what it did, but also literally ripping off fucking uh, that Denzel Washington movie, Tony Scott movie, they not only, not only did they profit visually with all of those effects, like, that's where mm. they took it from. Uh, Man on Fire. Uh, oh, you told yeah, me to watch it's that. It's Max Payne it 3. That's the story. Not only did they rip it off visually, they literally ripped off the fucking story. Like, beat by beat. Oh, what a shame. And I hate the return of after the second game, I miss the super bullet time superhuman max because that's what the third game is based on you literally just shoot dodge and you do it but i hate how they handled it like you won't get off the floor till you stop shooting and that animation takes forever which in most cases will if you just drop to the floor and there's still enemies standing around if you didn't take it becomes a sort of like mini games you know you run behind the cover quick save shoot dodge if you didn't get all of them you're fucked reload Shoot, dodge, get all of them. It's this weird. It's it's it's, the cover it's, it's that like a weird, the most, I think. like almost yeah, like like cover based mini game. You literally play in a mini game mm-hmm. if you can shoot all enemies in one go, and then yeah, a lot you of the add elements yeah. of your gun switching during cutscenes. Like you had one gun cutscene plays, which are cutscenes all the time. Which I do like how they had pre-rendered cutscenes run over the loading level. Like, it's seamless. Yeah, that it's was seamless. Nice. Like, it well, goes from, like, high-res pre-rendered in-engine cutscenes. And they actually do that a lot in Max Payne 2 as well. If you try to skip a cutscene, then you get more of a loading time. I guess. I never skip cutscenes in Max Payne 2. They're good. <laughs> Me, I don't... I, I always watch them. I don't remember why I know that. Oh, it's because I uh, was trying to get it to work in widescreen. Oh, yeah. So I watched the beginning like five times. I couldn't get it working in widescreen, but I stopped caring right away because it's. A, a it still holds game. up really well. Like it, the game is, the it's still, it's twelve twelve years old. Two thousand three came out. Oh yeah, my gosh, it looks fucking so. great. I mean, it's not like like half life. It doesn't have the half life 2's faces like the faces, but texture right. work is amazing. The the environments are great. Even still, like the, the way they're are lit, like when you're a hotel, the glass starts breaking. Looks great. Like mm. twelve years later, yeah, it's a retro. Everything but people's faces just well, because of the uh, people's faces the faces good, look great. The yeah, the animations right. are lacking by today's standards. Even though in two thousand three it looked like like digital people, because they are they're pretty photorealistic. Yeah, totally. By you know, the envir- environments are is it perfect. still is Remedy still mostly future crew people? I don't know. I can't imagine that would be the case. That's been like forever. It's been like twenty. They just had their twenty. Yeah, year but the original Max Payne was largely made by by, yeah, by future so. crew people. You know, same people who did Death Rally. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Did you play Alan Wake? Uh, I own it, but I have nothing that can run it. Which is weird, because I I played Mm -hmm. Max Payne 3 on low settings on my PC, but I cannot run Alan Wake. Granted, the environments in Max Payne 3 are really small. Like, each each chunk of a level is its own separate 
thing. It's true. Like they're all just almost like yards, yards with stairs. It's like Half Life One style. Yeah, but even smaller. It's basically you all go into this one open environment with like a few uh, obstacles to cover and whatever entrance and whatever, and then uh, you know the uh, the uh, uh, the rest is like is in a different chunk of the map, you know, that being preloaded. Right. Right, right. Well, yeah, and Alan Wake has pretty big yeah. environments, but I loved that game, and it, hopefully, you know, you'll have a PC not too long from now. That hopefully, yes. If you like Max Payne, you'll definitely like Alan Wake. And if you like horror movies and like Stephen King or... I don't uh, like Stephen King, but I like horror movies. <laughs> or if you like Twilight Zone, it's kind of like a little bit campy. But still, very. I, I like Sam Lake's writing. That's for sure. So I love Sam Lake's writing, and uh, it, it it's it's great. This is probably the best writing he's done. Wow. In, I don't know if it's in Alan Waker and Max Payne too. Max, Max Payne two is, is really good. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's so it's corny, great. but yet it, it somehow manages to to work a series as well. Yeah. Yeah, you just go with it. Yeah, some some of those That's lines right. are just like so pulp trashy. Yet they just—it's also that actor as well. Like the, the, I forget what his name is. James yeah, McCaffrey. he's amazing. That's a great vocal performance. Having having seen or having heard, uh, heard him now in Max Payne Three, he's a lot better in Max Payne Three. But Max Payne Two, he's fine. Yeah, everyone else is very good. He's fine in Max Payne Two, but everyone else is very mm-hmm. very good. Yeah. I think in that game. Well, there's that. That's the All end right. of our Max Payne podcast. <laughs> I think so. Well, I, especially because I'm I'm getting uh, scornful uh, looks. My wife, my wife, yeah, my wife is standing at the door. Oh no, my my, right my roommate so just walked walked into the house. So okay, well, we don't per- want to disappoint our perfect timing. Immediate others. Okay then. Well, um, is there anything that that you'd like to uh, plug or tell people how to get in touch with uh, you? Before we follow address? me on Twitter if you like DOS games and people. Like, uh, Tweeting a lot about DAS. It's me if at DAS Nostalgic. If you don't like your Twitter feed being full of DAS bullshit, don't follow me. Well, what are you doing listening to this podcast if that's the case? Well, they'll love. Uh, I mean, you have your your pretty big uh, uh, audience. Maybe they don't know who I am. Yeah, sure. So maybe they don't mind listening to like three hours of 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 techie talk every once in a while, but maybe they don't want to look at their fucking Twitter feed full of shit every day. Oh, follow Das Nostalgic people. He's he's got a great Twitter feed. Lots of great screenshots and insight. And morning. I also have a podcast that comes out once in the in the blue moon. And Brian was yes. in episode two of my podcast. One number two. Wow. Yeah, my first podcast. Yeah, like two years on. ago. Yeah, a long yeah. time ago. And now you have that was like a two plus hour podcast. I was exhausted. Yeah, yeah. That. I don't know how I do. It, it was fun though. It's great, and I have it was music so playing fun. in the background. So yes, yeah, that's because you're a you, you're you're a, a talented editor. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> talented editor. Uh, yeah, but I have more podcasts coming up. So subscribe. Everything, everything, right. anywhere you can find. Use a search engine of your choice to find Das Nostalgia. I'm there. And we're all better off for it. Anatoly, thank you so, so much for coming on the podcast. This is a great episode. Really good to talk Thank you for having me. It's, I, love, I, I love being on other people's podcasts and just talk, talk, to talk about games, you know. Yes. Well, we'll have to have you back then. <laughs> all right, folks. We, we would love to hear from you again. Thanks so, so much to uh, everyone who wrote in today, to Father Beast for the two emails. That's unprecedented. Two emails in one, 
in one show. I love it. And to Ori Eftalion and to oh, Terminal Verbosity, I could say that all day. <laughs> Thank you guys very much for your comments as well. If uh, you guys would like to uh, get in touch with uh, us at the podcast, you can reach us at squarefm.demodulated.com on the web by email squarefm at demodulated.com and on Twitter we are at squarewavesfm. So thank you very, very much, everyone, for listening, and it's been a fantastically great pleasure. And thank you again, Anatoly. Thank you, thank you you again, thank you everyone for listening. It's it's uh, always I'm I love this podcast. Well, thank you very much. Likewise for yours, I really do. All right, so long, everybody. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) 